Hi, this is Shona Brown, and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. the only podcast going over the complete history of Australian Survivor from Whaler's Way right through to the current day. I have been very fortunate in my podcasting career to have interviewed several hundred Survivor contestants from right around the world. And I have to say today, this could be one of the most excited I've ever been in an interview because I I am so pumped up for this interview today. You have no idea. It is a person who we have talked a lot about across this season. It is a person who lives in the realms of the legends of Australian Survivor and a person who I am so excited to find out so much from today. It's a person who didn't come to play Tiddlywinks, but it's a person who we're going to find out just how much she actually likes that game from. I'm going to first of all say my name is Ben Waterworth and I'm going to hand over to my co-host to uh, give the rest of this great introduction. Hi, listeners. Hi, Ben. Oh, Ben, is, isn't this a very special day? It's a very special day. You're right, Ben. You took my opening intro there about the she's not here to play tiddlywinks. That is for sure. Ben, look, I, I know you've you've interviewed hundreds of, of Survivor players from America and, and Australia, but this is a special one today. This is, for me, this is what this podcast is all about, getting this player on is why I'm doing ASA. She finished in runner as runner-up. She lasted all 39 days. She's just about done everything in life that you could possibly want or wish for. I speak of the one and only, the living legend herself, Miss Shona Brown. Oh, guys, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> you heard us on the Katie interview. We don't, we don't want to somehow lose you halfway through this interview, Shona. So we've got to, we've got to be nice at the beginning, right? Like we've got to, you know, make you like us first of all. <laughs> oh well, we'll give it our best shot. All righty, Shona, Shona. When we when we put this podcast together, the first person I started searching for was, of course, yourself, and. Uh, it's been a journey just, you know, in the time that was trying to track you down, of course, you're not on social media. So these days it's quite hard to track someone down that, that doesn't have any social media footprint. But uh, just the research I did and, and hearing all the stuff, like reading all the stuff you've done post-Survivor was uh, was amazing. It, you, you're, you know, you've done so much and to have you here today on this podcast to talk about a time in your life from almost 20 years ago, the game of Survivor, like I am absolutely pumped. Yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it? I, You know, it is nearly 20 years um, and it's quite confronting in lots of ways to um, be able to look at footage that was taken 20 years ago uh, and see yourself um, in that place. I mean, how many people get to do that? Probably not a lot. So um, I, I, 
I reciprocate and say it's been an interesting journey for me um, leading up to this interview, I have to say. Which I can imagine as well for something that was part of your life, you know, as you said, nearly 20 years ago. Is it something that even comes up anymore? That this is something that you get recognised or is Survivor something that comes up at all at this point in your life or is it something you just haven't talked about in a long time? No, it, it, it doesn't come up. I mean, after the show, I would be out, you know, sort of shopping or wherever and people would recognise me and that went on for a little while. Um, and then there was my birthday party that Craig came across for, my 50th. But uh, I'm not really a high-profile uh, social media kind of person, so it hasn't been something that I've, I've revisited, no. Um, so this has been... Been interesting and and um, uh, quite exciting, really. I'm hoping Channel 10 is going to listen to this because um, <laughs> I'm definitely hand up. And there's there's a, a rumor going around that you know there might be an Australian. I don't know whether that's just wishful thinking on the part of some people, but if Channel 10 are listening to this, hey, give me a call. <laughs> oh, we we are hopeful that Channel 10 are listening to this because. Uh, it's an absolute travesty that you haven't been asked to come back on a show, which we'll cover a lot later, but. As far as this interview goes, we actually have Lucinda to thank for this. I was having trouble tracking you down, and it was actually Lucinda that managed to um, get me in contact with yourself. She she got me your number, so thank you, Lucinda, if you're listening. But uh, when I, when I initially rang you and 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 we had that conversation, it was many many months ago now, Shona. Was it was it a bit strange all of a sudden out of the blue? Here's this person wanting to talk about your game of Survivor because I know when we had that initial conversation, you, you sort of mentioned, well, I don't really talk about this. This is something I haven't spoken about in nearly two decades. It was definitely out of the blue. Um, I, uh, yeah, I had no inkling that you were doing podcasts or revisiting um, any of the survivors, to be honest with you. Again, because really I'm not, I'm not on social media, I'm not in any of that kind of... Um, uh, any of those platforms. It, and I did, as you know, Matt, I, I did actually think about it, you know, like I wanted some space to think about whether I wanted to come back into this world. Um, I'm glad I did, but uh, no, I, 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 it was a big surprise. Which I think it's it's similar. I know you sort of mentioned to us off air, one of the interviews of ours that you have listened to was Craig's interview. And Craig, when I reached out to him, I think was a little bit like, oh, you know, sure, I can talk about this. I haven't seen or thought about it in a long time. And we kind of opened up a can of worms for him, Shona. He's sort of uh, very much into it now and he loves listening to these and sort of just, you know, he's all back into it now. So maybe there's something amongst a lot of a lot of you guys that kind of, it's just, it's there. It's just, you've sort of moved on and go, well, no one wants to talk to us. And when we do, you're like, oh, hang on a minute. I love this. Channel 10 put me back on the show. Look... <laughs> Being on Survivor it is it is unique. I mean, yes, now there are lots of other series, and, um, but there is something quite um, special about heading off into the, you know, what do you know? You know it's going to be an exotic location. You know you're going to be competing against, in my case, there was um, 15 other type A personalities Um I guess at the end of it you could have walked away with $500,000. Uh, but really for, for me a big part of it was, was being out in the bush with some competitive people um, having a crack. Um, and that doesn't, you know, if that sits in your in your psyche, in your personality, 
in the thing that makes you tick, it, 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 you're going to um, you're going to respond to that. Um, so I'm not surprised. Those sorts of people don't change. You know, the Katie goals don't really change. I mean, I'm sure Katie is as competitive. Sure, she mightn't be doing triathlons anymore. Um, Craig, I would have absolutely no doubt, would be up for a, another shot at it. Um, you, it's the type of person that's attracted to that sort of adventure, I guess. So I'll take you back to 2001 when, when you would have had to put in your audition tape. So what was it about Survivor that actually – we were a fan of the first two American seasons because, of course, we know we had the Borneo season, which Rich, Richard Hatch won, and then at the very end of the, Australians, uh, the season two Australian Outback, that's when they announced that they were going to do an Australian version. So had you watched those seasons and, and were actually a fan of Survivor or what got you on to actually doing that famous audition tape and got you on the show? You're probably going to laugh at this, but it, no, I hadn't watched the um, the US um, seasons, but my mother had, and she was a big fan. And um, towards the end of the second, uh, well, the, the season from the US that was shot in, in Queensland, um, my mother played pennant bowls, lawn bowls. She's pretty good at it, and she was going down to the south coast, down to Esperance for a. Um, uh, a competition, and she asked me if I would tape or, um, the that that um, weeks that last week it was the last week of the show, and there was the ordinary um, uh, program on the Wednesday night, and then on the so I was only thinking I was going to um, tape one. Uh, then on the Friday night they had the final, and they had the you know what are the survivors doing now? So I ended up taping three of them. I decided to stay home and do that because I thought, oh, gosh, if it's at this stage of the program and I screw it up, she wouldn't be very impressed. So I actually I was sitting on the couch watching these three episodes of, the, of that series and I thought, hmm, this looks really interesting. Um, I need a holiday. <laughs> I think that would be a pretty cool thing to do. <laughs> And I kind of hooked in those three episodes, got absolutely hooked on it and thought, well, I'll, I'll have a go. And that's so I knew very little about – I didn't know much about it at all at that stage, but I even knew very little about it when I went on to the um, uh, apply for uh, um, a go at it. So that's amazing, the fact that you only watched it because your, your mother went away and you had to record it. So when she got back, do you remember saying to her, oh, like – I'm going to apply for this show that's now going to be coming to Australia? Yeah, well, I'd done a little bit of um, research, I guess, and uh, I thought it was it was intriguing to me um, and it was uh, – I'm quite competitive. So I um, – yeah, I did. I said I, – said, I don't know whether I said to mum straight away, but I went and saw a mate of mine who is in the in the marketing area and said, look, I've got to produce this five-minute video or up to five minutes. Um, would you be interested in giving me a hand? And he was all for it. So that's we put that together and sent it off. And, yeah, it, it sort of went on from there. I, I, I did get quite, um, quite keen to be chosen, um, that's for sure. But Well, it's interesting because Matt, I think, mentioned during the Sophie interview that he remembers, you know, some of these audition tapes vividly. And i got to say, I think out of all the audition tapes, yours is easily the most memorable from the snips we saw because, of course, you famously uh, ate dog poo. Well, 
sort of. Um, I mean, it's, it's a great clip. I mean, was that the your marketing friend's idea? Was that your idea to kind of add that little quirk at the end where it looks like you're picking up dog crap and putting it in your mouth? Look, I have to fess up and know it wasn't my idea. It was a great idea as it turned out. In fact, when um, Alan proposed it to me, I said, what? You've got to be joking. I'm not gonna, you know, national TV. But, you know, it was only fleeting because I realised that, you know, it was such a great idea um, and I didn't have to literally pick up a lump of doggy doo-doo. But, no, it was, it was Alan's idea, I, I, I confess. So was, was that a cherry ripe in there? Because we know you love cherry ripes. <laughs> uh, actually, I think I've got one here in my drawer. If I, oh, no. yeah, All no. right, prepared. I like it. <laughs> Which is funny. Uh, it was a joke, a joke um, special, I think. Right, because, I mean, I know in the reunion you sort of mentioned that people legitimately thought you were eating dog crap. How many people came up to you and were like, why did you eat dog crap? Why would you do that? Well, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I did get that. Um, several people asked me, was that really dog poop? <laughs> yeah, sure, of course it was. I was practising for the food challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned in that in your audition tape too, obviously, that you had been a test pilot. Something that I'd love to hear, Shona, before we get into the actual survivor part of this this podcast, just a little bit about yourself leading into the show, like the things – it sounds like you've just done – so many incredible things in your life, and a lot of that was also prior to getting on Survivor. So can you just give us a bit of a rundown about who Shona Brown was before Survivor? Oh, lordy, lordy. <laughs> well, um, well, let me see. My father was in the Air Force, so my father was a, a pilot in the Royal Australian Air Force. Um, my mother's an accountant. So we moved from... Uh, state to state. Every time Dad got a new posting, we, we moved. So I had a pretty mobile upbringing, um, military far- father, which was great. I mean, um, and I, I, I guess when Dad retired, he ret- he's a West Australian, he retired to WA, and that's when um, we, were, we had a more stable base. I, I, I didn't originally think I'd get into flying because in my, my era it wasn't there were not you know there weren't the role models you know it didn't occur to me that military certainly weren't looking at women pilots um and dad didn't con- continue with flying once he'd retired but anyway there's a whole bunch of stuff there and um that I did and then I decided that I'd give flying a go and I I sort of found my my place, really. I, the thing about flying is that um, the people are always different. The aircraft are always different. The places you're going are all always different. The you've got to, you know, you've got to have a reasonably um, organised, um, logical mind. You know, you plan the flight, fly the plan. Uh, it, it was challenging, and I, I loved it really. And I went from there, from getting all my commercial licences, etc., to. The guy that mentored me really was an ex-Air Force pilot as well. Um, I only ever flew with my father once, but um, Alec um, was building his own aircraft. A uh, What in those days was very innovative. It was a Burt Rutan designed long easy, so it was made out of e-glass and um, uh, epoxy resin. So I learned a lot from Alec, not just from a flying perspective, but from building aeroplanes. I then went on and worked with Eagle Aircraft, which was um, uh, a local um, family that 
were designing and building um, a canard-winged aircraft. So canard-wing, you've got uh, the main wings and you've got a forward wing. And their idea was to um, uh, replace four-wheel drive vehicles on stations with these very safe aircraft that station owners could go around and inspect their stock and their windows, et cetera. And at the end of that program, there was a flight test um, section. Obviously, the aircraft had to be certificated, and I was invited to be part of that team um, just as a, a, a data analyst, really. And the company then went on to um, need a – it was an ex-Air Force pilot who did the flight test program, and I loved that. I couldn't get enough of the long days, but, gosh, it was fascinating, and I learned so much. And then the company needed a, a test pilot, so they sent me away to test pilot school. Um, wow. I could have never done that on my own. I mean, financially, it would have been totally out of my reach. And so I, I did that and went off and worked in the States and um, came back to Australia. And it, was, it was great. I, I loved it. It was, it was very um, fulfilling. It, it met all, all the things that I, you know, it was always challenging. Um, it was required um, a lot of focus. Um, I worked with some great people. The aeroplanes were were, were, were interesting. It, it just ticked all the boxes for me, really. Is it something that you still do, fly a plane every now and then? Is it like a hobby that you sort of still take part in? Look, I don't, Ben. Um, once I finished, I, there's no test flying that goes on, or it wasn't in those days, other than post-maintenance test flying that went on in Australia. So all of that um, really was based in the US. And I went and spent time in the US and um, then came back to Australia when my father wasn't well. But... Um, you get to fly some really interesting machines and it's sort of, I don't hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but it's just a, really a statement of how it is. To come back and fly aircraft that are already certificated, that are sort of for carrying passengers around or flying training or whatever, um, it just didn't have the same thrill, I suppose, or the same challenge. So I did get into paragliding, um, which I loved. Um, I did that for quite a long time, but I didn't ever... Um, I, I never continued flying um, conventional aircraft. It's You're very much like Jeff, I think, in that we could literally do a podcast with both of you just about your life outside of Survivor because you have led such fascinating lives that really, really interests me. One thing I really want to quickly touch on before we get back into Survivor because I will forget to ask you at the end, Shona, and I need to know, in the official Survivor guide, it says you own a Ferrari. Do you still own that Ferrari? <laughs> No, and oh. I'll tell you, wait, but wait a minute, here's a fun fact. I never owned the Ferrari. Right. So when the um, Channel 9 put this book together, yep. they, they did it while we were out on location. And so what I, in my application, I provided a photograph of me sitting on or in a Ferrari. It belonged to a really close friend of mine, John Wright, who's an aerodynamicist who did all the lifting surfaces on the Beach Starship and the Voyager and, and it was John's Ferrari and I was in, I was in um, South Bend, Indiana and I, it was a um, photo I pulled off my file of photos and sent it in. So Channel 9 didn't ever check with us any of the information. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know until I well and truly um, got it off the program and, and saw it in the book and went, where did they get that from? But it's the same thing if you 
um, if you look at um, uh, where Rob and I are listed, um, they've copied across. I'm supposedly got um, brown eyes, so Rob's on the next page. He's got brown eyes. I've got blue eyes. Um, so they actually just cut that out of wherever our applications, I suppose, and threw it in the book. What what type of Ferrari was it? Oh, lordy. Oh. No idea. It was a red one. It was a red one. Well, that's the main one. I'm a big Ferrari man. So, um, look, if I was you, Shona, I would have just answered that question. Yes, Ben, I still own it and I drive it every single day. (laughs) (laughs) So, Shona, you did your audition tape, which, of course, was was brilliant. Everyone knows. Everyone had a good laugh at your audition tape and uh, we can see why you got to the next stage. Now, when you're sitting down and and you're down to the, the last 200 people in Australia, I mean, you must have known you were a good chance. Like, not many people have that backstory that you have. And and you were in that – you were 49 at the time when you played. So, you know, they they always put a few younger people on. In Kadena's case, they put a lot of younger people on their tribe. So there wouldn't have been a lot of 40, 45 to 60-year-olds applying. And here you are. Like, you must have felt like you were in a pretty good position to get on this show. Uh Look, I was just focused on giving it everything. Um, as, as we know now, I mean, there are eight, eight and a half thousand people put their hand up. Um, we weren't told that at the time, so I didn't know, I had no idea of how many people would be applying. I don't know that I had a pretty good idea, but I, I, I assumed that there was no good waiting. There was, there was no good waiting to find out that you were on and then sort of turning around and going, oh, now I need to prepare myself. So I assumed that. Um, I was going to be selected and then I did a whole bunch of stuff obviously to prepare for it. Which one of those things I believe, I mean it says in the book, uh, this hopefully this one's true, uh, that you slept outside for, for three weeks. Was was that true and did that help getting you prepared to going out there when you eventually got the call to say you're going out there? Yeah, I did do that. I, I did sleep outside but I was used to sleeping outside so um, that, was, that was not, you know, I was used to doing that. Uh, not Not... Conventionally, I mean, not not when I had my own home, but I mean, I was used to camping and bushwalking and all that sort of stuff. So, do you remember when you got the call to say you're one of the sixteen? Yeah, I got a call from Prue um, to say that I'd been selected. Yeah, um, obviously, I was pretty pleased. And did you go then back and sort of you said you'd only kind of seen those last couple of episodes of the Australian Survivor? Did you then? Go back and watch. Where, I mean, it was obviously a lot harder back then to be able to go back and watch. It's not like today where you can kind of just jump on the internet. But were you able to watch a little bit more of it to prepare yourself a little bit more for the game? Yeah, I, I was. And I did a lot of other preparation at the time as well. I knew that um, my my weakness was probably going to be my um, people skills. I... Um, so I went and saw a sports psychologist and, and did some sessions with him and sort of talked around, well, okay, um, what's the dynamic of working in a team? And I've worked in small flight test teams, but that's very different because everybody's geeky. And um, But I knew that I'd probably struggle with relationships with a whole bunch of people that um, were different uh, age groups and different backgrounds and all of that sort of stuff. So... I certainly went and did that. I was I did a lot of tra- um, personal training um, in the gym. Uh, I read a lot, you know, like I'm a voracious reader anyway. So I read a lot, um, you know, on um, 
survival psychology um, and read as much as that as I could. I had a mate who was in the SAS and talked to him about, um, you know, the skills involved in, you know, um, coming under pressure, all of those sorts of things. He talked about the, the whole grey man um, theory of where, you know, if you get captured, um, then you try and make yourself as uh, invisible as possible so you don't, you know, you, you, somebody, if people aren't taking notice of you, then you can get away with a whole bunch more than if you're making a, a, a drama of things. Did all that help, especially like you're saying the sports psychologist stuff and that social side of things? Do you think that helped you with your social game going into it? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because the sports that I've been used to doing um, were, were not really team sports. I've been work, used to working on a team in a, um, in a career environment, but not, I, I'm, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm not a sort of, I'm not a party girl, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big social person at all. Ben, I think I think that's genius because when we do these interviews, and, and I know you've done a lot more interviews than me with contestants, most of the time they're doing physical training or trying to survive out in the elements. Where Shona, you've identified what your what you felt your weakness was, which was you know the the different ages and and people that you're going to be around. So I, I think that's absolutely genius. That instead of you know you, you knew you were already physically fit, you've actually gone and identified what you thought your problem would be or the issue would be and to see a sports psychologist like that's that's i can see now why you got to the final you know the the final day day 39 like with that with going into a show like that that that's genius say to work <laughs> <laughs> well it's i mean it is interesting matt like yeah i i agree i think it's kind of it's always interesting when you talk to players who who go in prepared in many different ways because it is about, I think, identifying certain parts of your game that you may feel that you may lack. And particularly going back to see those original episodes that maybe you hadn't seen before because Survivor was, you know, it was still such a new thing that people were still trying to work out. Like, is this a social game? Is this a physical game? And it's not like what we know it is today. So... I could imagine even in just watching a couple of those episodes, you are then able to analyse where you may be lacking and go and do that research beforehand. Because as you said, you've you've got the the physical side thing down. You know, you, you're fit, you've slept on the ground, bugs don't bother you, all this sort of stuff is fine. It's just, you know, how am I going to be nice to people? And I, I, I think that's a that's an important thing to do in Survivor. <laughs> Was it hard, Shona? Like to, obviously your your personality. You can tell even just from talking. You're you're a leader. You know, if if you want things done, you don't rely on someone else getting them done. You'll go do it yourself. You know, so was that hard? Is that was that one of the hardest parts you actually found during the game? Was just sometimes maybe taking a step back and let someone else, you know, their opinion be where you go, or like what what did you find hard about Survivor? Yeah, that was definitely the oh, definitely the most challenging aspect of um, the game for me, um, because I, you know, I, I was used to. I, I, look, it, when when Dad in the Air Force, we moved every sort of two and a half, three years. Um, so that meant that as soon as you got as a kid, as soon as you got close to someone, either their father moved or, or, or my father moved. So I, I, I didn't have really, um, and probably still don't, have a lot of social skills. 
um, I knew I would struggle with that. Uh, and I'd also started a career where you had to, you know, you, you had to know you had, had to have your act together. You had to know what you were doing. You were flying passengers around and, um, you know, things go wrong with aeroplanes occasionally and, you know, you have to make decisions mid-flight because you've got to divert around a, a big thunderstorm or whatever, you know. So right from the early part of my life, I had to make decisions for myself and often decisions that affected other people. And so you, I think you grow up fairly quickly and you, you want to be in a situation where you, you don't have people challenging you, assuming you're a pilot in command and you know what you're doing. Um, and so I wasn't, you know, it was, look, I just wasn't really particularly good in that area, in, in the social area. And, and as I said, I'm, in some ways I probably still aren't. Well, part of that probably I think, maybe help you get cast because, I mean, they don't want to cast 16 social butterflies who are all going to be sitting around the campfire. They, they want to kind of create opposites, don't they, where they're going to have someone like yourself who has got all this life experience but maybe will struggle in one aspect but then you're going to have 18-year-old Jane who might be a social butterfly but she's terrible at the, the physical and kind of stuff that you're good at and that's kind of what they want, isn't it? Because that's reality TV. It's creating conflict, it's opposites and kind of putting them together to see how it's going to work out on camera. Yes, that's all true, but naively I actually did think that there'd be more people um, who had been out in the bush and, you know, knew how to light a fire or knew how to um, gut a fish. Um, you know, on, on my tribe, the only other person who'd done any fishing was Sophie. And we, there were blokes on that tribe and they, they didn't really have a lot of idea at the beginning about, you know, how to catch a fish. So I, I, I was a bit surprised by that. When but the, you're right, I look. At the end of the day, you want to create that tension, don't you? You want to create that yeah. sort of um, interest. For the... I was going to say, don't forget, Shona, there's people that didn't know how to boil rice as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which, yep. when you're on on the planes, the buses, you obviously, you know, you can't talk to anyone, you can't really meet these people until you, you're out there, but... Do you size, who are you sizing up kind of when you get a bit of a glance at, you know, you might see a couple of the other players? Was there anyone that you remember looking at going, they're going to be a good person to work with? No, I don't want to be with them at, at any point in this game. I mean, kind of those games starting early on, do you remember those moments? Yeah, I do. Um, the, I was the first person on the bus when we left the hotel to go to the airport. So and I walked straight to the back of the bus and I watched every single person walk onto that bus and um, we were talking about going and seeing a sports site, but I actually did, and you, you pick this up anyway, I suppose, but I, I did a fair bit of stuff around just um, body language and um, and so I watched everybody walk onto the bus. I looked at how they carried themselves, whether they made eye contact, where they sat in terms of the bus, what they were wearing, um, what their demeanour was, and then we they took us out to the airport. We loaded onto the um, aircraft and flew out to um, Port Lincoln and I was the uh, – I must have been the first on the bus there because I was – I sat at the front and I was the, last, the first off the bus when we got to the location. So I did the same thing, watch people walk out of the bus and definitely try to psych out, you know, who they might be, whether they – you know, what their physical attributes were. Um, mm. Was there anyone that you remember – stark memories of kind of first impressions of when you saw them get on the bus? 
Oh, definitely, Rob. Um, Rob and I, um, people might find this hard to believe, but it's actually true. Rob and I formed an alliance. Now, these things can change in a game, of course, but Rob and I formed an alliance very, very early on, on the first day, um, once we um, started off uh we had to leave. So we got off the bus. Um, there was the introduction, and then um, Katie and I can't remember who from um, uh, the other tribe swam out. It might have been Craig, maybe I don't Craig. know. Um, yeah. Craig, yeah. And then we were given um, a map and a compass. Oh, sorry, not a map. But, uh, yes, we were, of course, um, and a compass. And we had to find our way to our um, to our campsites. And Rob was a pilot, so he and I discovered each other's aviation um, connection very, very early on, and it was great. I mean, he he flew thing wings, helicopters, and I flew fixed wings, but we just clicked right from the very beginning. And so the navigation exercise for us was very straightforward. We were out the front, we got into, um, into camp, and it just really um, went from there. I'm very intrigued to talk a lot about your relationship with Rob because, you know, obviously that was the, the core relationship of this entire season. Clearly you both made it to the end. But just one quick thing, I, I forgot to ask my regular question that we always ask at this point of the interview, and that, of course, is the location, Shona. You mentioned about getting on the plane to Port Lincoln. You actually, I think, were maybe the only one in any confessional across the whole season who praised the location. I think it was right at the very end you talked about how much you actually enjoyed the location. But what was your initial thoughts when you found out that, A, you were staying in Australia and, B, you were in South Australia? Look, I loved it. I, I, I've flown along those. I mentioned earlier this um, mentor of mine and um, Alec was building a long easy, and we flew that aircraft around Australia. And we flew along that, that cliff line and below the level of the, the cliffs, I mean, obviously um, off over the ocean, but I loved it. I thought it was stunning and I um, I couldn't get enough of it. I, I, I could have stayed, like Lance, I suppose, in a way, I could have stayed there longer. I thought it was, you know, fantastic. It's good to Visually, hear Visually, it's, it's I was going to say, it's good to hear these admiration. I think Matt and I have kind of really come around now on the location sort of uh, and everything along those lines. But one really quick question as well I, I need to ask. You, you mentioned about flying all the way around Australia, obviously being sort of a military daughter. You said you lived in many places. Got to ask, did you ever live or spend expen expanded periods of time in Tasmania at all, Shona? Not Tasmania. There's wasn't an Air Force base down there, so not Tasmania. Right. I, I need I to did, try and find connections to my home state here to see if there was, you know. Well, I've been to Tasmania. I've walked a lot of the walks down there. It's fantastic. Great. Good but it I is. I say that I did, I did know where we were. So when we took off from um, Adelaide, of course, the shutters had to be down. Um, oh, sorry, shutters had, had to be up, and then they, they put them down shortly after takeoff. And of course, they have to be up for landing. So I actually, I actually knew where we were. I didn't know we were going to Whalers Way, but I, I'd flown over that area, so I, I, I knew where we were. Well, that's a, that's a unique take on it because I think, kind of, from everyone we've spoken to, no one had ever been there before, or at least, kind of, you know, was overly familiar with it. So that's kind of a unique perspective. Does that give you a weird home ground advantage in some way, Shona, that you at least kind of know in the vicinity where you are, that you're slightly familiar with where you are? No, because I hadn't. I mean, I've driven across the Nullarbor when I was much younger, but um, it, I don't think it gave me any advantage. It was just kind of comforting in a way. I thought, oh, okay, well, at least I know where I am. Um, 
but I don't see any other advantage. The location is is always been a big talking point. It's, it's it's like Ben said, it's a question that we always ask, and you know, there, there was, people were always critical that it was in Australia. But but I agree with Ben, like, and with what you're saying, Shona, that it it, it was visually stunning. And yes, there was parts about it, like the campsites didn't look great on TV. But once you got down to the beach or on the cliffs, it it really some of those shots of you guys walking along the cliff line down on the beach like you're right absolutely stunning and it's something that from doing this podcast we realized you know what it actually wasn't too bad and i i i think it was unfairly criticized at the time i think people were just so in love with this game at the time they wanted some remote fancy island location somewhere and then of course there was that disappointment that it was whaler's way but you know 20 years on now you look back and think you know what whaler's way you, you could almost do another survivor there now it's quintessential Australia, and if I had any, um, I was going to say criticism, but of the current Survivor setup is it's it's not in Australia. How come we're having Australian Survivor and we're going to Fiji? Nothing wrong with Fiji, and Vanuatu and wherever else. If I, I, I'd I'd like to see um, the Survivor franchise or, or Channel Ten um, say, you know what, let's have it in Australia. It's particularly now with the um, situation we're in. With um, coronavirus, we should be doing it. Well, that's my criticism of Australia, uh, of a Survivor now, especially America and Australia, is you're, you're right. They they only do it in Fiji now. The, the thing, One of the main things I fell in love with this game was every season you'd sit down and you'd wait to find out where the next location was and, and they would do this backstory of, of, you know, it's going to be in the jungles of Africa or, you know, Central America or so, and you'd be like, oh, where, you know, and that was the half the excitement was these players are going to be dropped into this, you know, remote location and you would, and during the game, you'd get that you'd get to see rewards where they go on these, you know, and, and they see all these old ruins and things. Now it's just, it's almost like just a set, like a TV set. It's at the one, one location in Fiji. And I, I understand why they do it. It's a lot cheaper you know, it's easier for them to, they've obviously got a good relationship with the Fiji government. So that makes it easier, but you're right, Shona, especially with COVID now, like I actually suggested that people were, people were online recently saying, well, why don't we do one back in Australia seeing we, you know, there's no international travel. And I got on there and I said, why not back at Whaler's Way? Uh, I wouldn't do it back at Whaler's Way, to be honest with you, Matt. Um, because it's been done before. But I've seen a fair bit of the world and, and Australia is such an amazing country. I, You know, even if you went up, you know, I, you know, into the central desert, there are gorges up there that you could, you know, fabulous location. Um, I, I think, well, we're getting sort of, I don't know whether we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I, I, um, I, I think Survivor, current day Survivor has got um, a bit prescriptive. I think it should come back. This is my view. I hope I'm not putting fans off, but I think it should come back to Australia, absolutely, particularly now, um, and we should be showcasing our country because, you know, obviously it, um, people beyond our shores look at Australian Survivor. Um, we sh- I, I'd, I'd love to see us going to, into country and, and having elders involved in the program. I mean, we're 20 years down the track. When are we going to get a female host, for yeah. example? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see that. Who could go past Lydia? I mean, awesome. Yeah. I'd it's, see, it's, you know, um, 
It's well, I was just going to say it's very. I mean, that that is itself is fascinating because it's kind of weird with Survivor that you kind of you perceive Survivor as having a male host and Big Brother's kind of perceived as having a female host. It's kind of odd, isn't it? Kind of those dynamics, but there's no reason why you couldn't. I mean, Lydia, that's a fantastic choice. She would be fantastic as a host of Survivor. We could go past her. I mean, you know, Olympian, um, being a Survivor herself, um, oh, I think she'd be fantastic. And as I say, um, it'd be lovely to, to see some of that, some of our country in, um, you know, this the central desert out from Alice Springs. That place there is just awesome. And the Kimberley, oh, lordy, lordy, fantastic. What about country. yourself? And, uh, you could host Shona. I could imagine you out there in the kind of in the khaki uh, shirt and kind of, you know, come on in, guys. You want to see what you're playing for? Oh, I don't think it, well, I don't think you can go past Lydia. She's she's younger and spunkier and you know better looking. So as much as I'd love to see you hosting Shona, no, 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 I want to see you play a game, not hosting. <laughs> we need to get Shona Brown back on. That that's where the money is. Like getting Shona Brown back playing this game. That's would be a hundred times better. It's it is really interesting, kind of that time period because we we've, we often talk a lot about the the context. My favorite word on this podcast about that time and. I mean, Matt's talked to you about sort of he was 18 and applied. I, I was I was 15, Shona, when the season aired, and I was definitely in that brigade of feeling disappointed that it was filmed in Australia, that it wasn't going overseas. And it's it's kind of one of these things, though, that I think we've talked a lot about how this, this show ages well. Your season ages well, and it's important for people to watch it now and kind of look on it differently because – all that negativity that straight away was, oh, it's filmed in Australia. This isn't the same. And that ties into what Matt was saying about Survivor used to be about the location. Every season it was Australian outback, Africa, Thailand. Like we were so excited where it was going. Nowadays, the location isn't even thought about. It's all about the twist. It's all about champions versus contenders. It's all stars. It's who cares where it's filmed. And that would be such a unique thing, particularly as you you mentioned, Shona, about how people overseas would want to see it in our own country because Australian Survivor, modern Survivor, is very well loved overseas. A lot of Americans claim it to be better than their own version now, so it has got a huge overseas fan base. What amazing way that would be to sell our beautiful country with a location and you've got Every state and territory would have a location. Maybe not Canberra. I don't know if you really want to film it at Parliament House. But you, most states and territories have beautiful locations where you could film it and showcase it. It, it would be, and you could call it Survivor. You know, Queensland, Survivor Northern Territory, Survivor Tasmania. Like you could do I was it. Just going to say, of course, Tasmania would be the first location that you'd absolutely. You're not going to have a contestant <laughs> from the bloody state showing, or at least film it there. Uh, Gentlemen, we're on exactly the same page. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see it. And, in fact, what are they going to do in this next next series? I mean, how are they going to do that overseas? Well, maybe maybe we're going to see Survivor back in Australia and how, you know, fantastic would that be? Well, well one season uh, had to get postponed, so they already had the, the contestants picked and I, I don't think they were too far off actually going, and they've had to postpone it. So yeah, not sure when that's gonna when, when that's gonna kick off again. But uh, you know, depending on how how COVID ends up going, it, it may actually be something that they have to look at 
And, uh, yeah, I actually think it would be a positive for the game because it is getting a little bit stale, like seeing the same beach every season, the same two beaches. They, they, they can't even do sort of any fancy reward challenges now where they get to go out into the community for, like, a special reward because, because there is nowhere to go. Like, they've already done it. Um, you know, I, I look back on my favourite season, which was Season 3 Africa, which was the season being aired while you were out at Whaler's Way. And... The, the the things I remember about the season was when people won reward and they got to go to the, the local hospital and and um, provide HIV equipment to, to the hospital or, or they go to the local village and, and get to meet the, the school kids and things like that. That's what made the show so great, where we don't get any of that now. So you're right. This could actually – they could capitalise on this and say, you know what, new location, new twists, new environment. And what about the food? I mean, I'm – I'm fascinated by how much food you get these days on on one of these Survivor series. Um, it's almost it's almost off putting. It's almost obscene in a way. I actually find it. I squirm when I see it. But um, I mean, you, we had very little food, very very little food, and so um, I'd like to see it come back to something a bit more aligned with you know you're out there doing it tough as opposed to, you know, you're finding half a dozen um, uh, idols and you can go into a, a, a challenge where you've got um, a sea container load of popcorn or, a, or a, you know, three bakeries full of um, frosted cakes. I mean, that to me is as boring as batshit. I'm sorry, but I'm, I am probably getting myself into deep water here. But um, it, let's go back to get out there and do it tough. Well, talking about going back, Shona, let's go back to day one out at Whaler's Way. So Great segue, the- Matt Dyson. Sorry, I just got to <laughs> say, how good is he, Shona? Like, this guy has no training in interviewing. He's brilliant. Very smooth. <laughs> I try, I try. Now, so back in day one, you're put on the Tapara tribe. Now, Kadena, they were, I mentioned it before, they were a pretty young tribe. They had five of their eight members were all somewhere in their 20s. Um, of course, you had Jane and was 18, Joel was was 22, but you appeared to be sort of one of the leaders of the tribe. You you seemed to do a lot of the cooking of the rice and and, and getting the shelter organised initially. Um, I'd love to hear about that early part of the game. Um, obviously, Tapara were lucky enough to win that first challenge, the one that, well, the, obviously the first immunity challenge didn't quite go to plan and they had to redo it and Taparo ended up winning that challenge. But um, I'd love to hear about your game because you must have been a little bit nervous. You know, you were the the oldest member of Tapara tribe. I mean, that, that's got to be nervous early in the game when people are just looking for any reason for it not to be them to be voted out. Was I the oldest or was Jeff the oldest? Oh, sorry, the- yes. You're correct. Yes, you're right. Sorry, Jeff was 51. Uh, you were the, you were the oldest female on your tribe. Yeah, you were 49. Jeff was Jeff was 52, I think. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I didn't see my age as a disadvantage. Truly, I didn't. Um, so, my strategy was to make myself as useful as possible, um, and not but not to stand out in in any particular way. So. Um, you know, had I been capable of winning, you know, the first three um, challenges, for example, that, that wasn't that wasn't my aim at all. I just wanted to try and um, balance myself um, 
become familiar with the other tribe people, mates, and um, and make myself useful, which is why I, I took on the role of um, cooking the rice. Um, I, I didn't expect, as we mentioned earlier, that there wouldn't be more people who could fish, but I ended up taking on a, a fair bit of that role as well. And then other people picked up on it, so it wasn't so, you know, um, so much my responsibility. But, um, yeah, no, I, I wasn't worried about my age. I'd love to get your perspective on the alliance, the Tapara Alliance. We spoke to Katie, we spoke to Sophie about it, but in your view, you, you mentioned already about kind of the alliance you formed with Rob, which, you know, we'll talk about, of course, but the Katie, Sophie, kind of those people involved in, I guess, what was the Tapara 4, at least at the beginning, how in your eyes was that formed? And, and was that word alliance used? Were you guys aware that this was kind of a, a group that you were wanting to work in? Or was Rob the only one that you were sort of focused and the others kind of were just there at the time? Um, do you mean sort of from day one or do you mean once we got into from, the, from the from day um, From the beginning, like kind of how that all came about. Look, it was pretty much outside of me. Um, as I said earlier, Rob and I literally gelled right from day one and we talked about an alliance. Um, I, I think it would have been on day one or very, very close to day one. And it was, I felt strongly that um, he was somebody that I could work with and I think that was reciprocated because we we always talked about um, being together and getting to the end together, even in those very, very first days. Um, none of this is, you know, on, on is shown on any of the footage, of course. So, uh, you know, yeah, there was that famous thing on the thing of, oh, well, I, Rob said I'd, um, I'd said he was like my younger brother, which, of course, he was. But, you know, sure, would I vote off my younger brother? No. But would my younger brother vote off his big sister? No. <laughs> so it was, you know, um, and that's the sort of relationship we had. And we went through, right. Now, when Katie and um, Sophie, that wasn't until well into the game. And I, and not only that, that when Rob first started talking to them and when those sorts of conversations came up, I was across all of those because Rob and I talked about them and we, we, we managed that. I hate to use that word, but. Uh, that's probably the best word. We sort of managed that whole thing that was going on, um, you know, running parallel to where he and I were. Which this is why, you know, we want to hear this from you, Shona, because, you know, we talk a lot about Rob's game. We talk a lot about Katie's game because we see them. We see them talking strategy. We see them talking about the plan. I don't know if we really get to see a lot of you talking strategy, particularly in those early parts of the game. They're kind of not focusing on that side of your game. But Matt and I have constantly talked up your game this sort of season when we've covered it and sort of how, you know, how well you did. So were you surprised that kind of some of those conversations with you and Rob weren't shown as much and that they kind of focused a little bit more, say, on Katie's strategies rather than yours and Rob's, even though you are the final two and Katie's not in the final two? Look, probably not because probably they were pretty boring. I mean, we didn't – there wasn't um, There wasn't really a lot of uh, – there wasn't really a lot of discussion around it. We just we just got on well. We were similar people in some ways and different in others, but there was, a, there was definitely a, a connection there. There was definitely a level of trust. I mean, I – further into the game when the Craig thing all came up – and we can, we don't need to go into detail now if you don't want to. But um, 
Craig, for me, I had I had invested everything in, in Rob. Um, and one of the key things about investing is that you spread your risk. So in part, because there was nothing ingenuous about my connection with Craig, but in part, Craig was a, um, a plan B for me because that, at that stage it was becoming very obvious to everybody that there was, well, not everybody because Lance and Joel certainly weren't, weren't across it, but um, that there were, you know, alliances being discussed, alliances possibly being formed. So I, I did I did need to find myself a plan B if I needed it. Did you have any plan B in Tapara? I mean, you obviously you had all this trust in Rob, but did you ever think, oh, maybe this guy's so good that he's playing me that maybe I need to have a plan B on Team Blue? Look, you'd be silly, wouldn't you, to go into a game like Survivor and not think that, you know, you could be blindsided or you could be um, – and, and of course, you, you saw on the um, on all the footage that Rob and Katie were very um, interactive. You know, they they swam together. They, you know, talked a lot. They uh, Katie was fantastic. Um, but there was a lot of that sort of footage shown. So – but each time that Rob and I we, – we discussed the fact that we wouldn't make anything, our relationship, um, obvious – um, we just touched base when we needed to and it was pretty calm, really. You must have been thinking this Survivor game was pretty easy. Now, Tapara only had to go to Tribal Council once prior to the merge and, of course, by the time you merged and became Aurora, there was there was three Kadena members left which um, all got picked off one after the other. So it was a, it was a pretty good run for the majority of the Tapara tribe, basically day 30 was when, when Lance left and he, he was the the second one from Tapara. But, of course, Jeff Brown. Now, Jeff was the only member that, that didn't make the merge. Um, he went in fourth place after 12 days. You actually voted for Jane that night. You didn't appear that you wanted Jeff to go. What was? I'd love to hear your thoughts about Jeff. Now, you two were very similar ages. You had both done incredible things in your life. Um, you know... I don't know, but I would imagine that you two would have got along quite well and the fact that you wanted to keep him around. Do you remember much about Jeff in that early part of the game? Um, sure. I remember that uh, he snored. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I, I, I'm... Jeff got voted off for really one reason and that was people weren't sleeping. It, it wasn't so bad for me because, again, because of – flying and the way I um, live my life, I could sleep on a barbed wire fence. But it particularly upset Rob, particularly. Um, and Rob and I had a conversation about Jeff or, or Jane. I wanted Jane to go because I just thought she was the weakest link. And Rob was adamant it had to be Jeff because he wasn't sleeping and he was going crazy. So um, that's how Jeff got to be voted off so early. And my relationship with Jeff was, again, sort of pretty cordial. Um, I was very impressed with, you know, what he'd done in his life and he was very helpful around the camp and um, he was pretty good at sledging. I, I must admit there were times <laughs> when I cringed. But, um, you know, that, that, that said, it seemed to be doing the job. Um, it certainly put off, um, you know, Kadena um, members, but... No, I, I, everything was pretty cool. I think it was Jeff and I. Uh, I um, 
different game, of course, back then when it comes to sort of things like alliances being exposed and that. But of course, you know, yourself, Rob, Katie all voted Jane. The remainder voted for Jeff. Is it something at that point in Survivor where it's kind of almost sort of fearful that, oh, are we exposed a little bit here, particularly you and Rob? You said you kind of wanted to go on the down low. Or is that something you guys kind of didn't discuss the next day who voted for each other? It's something that you didn't really care to disclose. No, there there was a discussion. I I don't know that I can call it accurately enough now, but there was definitely a discussion um, about who would vote for whom. Um, And I think there was that discussion about sort of dividing it up, splitting it up so that it wasn't just, you know. Yeah, Rob was, I tried really hard at the time to sort of convince him that we, you know, we let's get the person that I thought was the weakest um, in our tribe and Rob was was just about a, you know, no, he wasn't prepared to negotiate. He just wanted to get a decent night's sleep and Jeff was the one that, you know, was the problem. Well, definitely got a a big question about sort of working with Rob later on when it comes to deciding who to vote for. But what was Rob like when it came to negotiating? Was it kind of a 50-50 balance between the two of you or sort of did you find yourself sometimes having to kind of just go, maybe I'm going to have to go along with this guy if I'm going to work with him? Or the other way around, did you kind of make sure he went along with you at some points? Look, I think that's probably the only time we actually went. Um, We we had strong opinions that were um, diametrically opposed. And, and you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I, and I could see what was happening, not just to, to Rob, but, I, you know, I suffered from it and I wasn't immune from it, but the other members of the tribe that my understanding is that Jeff had sleep apnea and didn't mention to anybody that he, you know, slept with a CPAP machine. And when he got out there, as you can hear from the recordings, <laughs> it was it was pretty late, so... Um, to keep the peace, um, I, I was happy to, at the end, to just say, okay, well, look, um, okay, well, I guess Jeff's first to go. But, you know, Jeff brought a hell of a lot to the tribe. Uh, he was a great contributor. Um, yep. One of the things that you shared with Matt and I in the lead-up to this interview, um, you had a conversation with one of the producers, Tim Wise, about your strategy uh, and then you then proceeded to ask for a piece of paper and basically write down your idea for for strategy in the game. And you shared with us the the pieces of paper, which we're going to share on our social media because they're fascinating, Shona. Sort of, we talked a lot about Katie kind of writing down a plan and this is kind of, you know, a similar thing. Tell us about this because you, you kind of, to explain this briefly, you had a piece of paper where you sort of, got your tribe members and labelled them compared to chess pieces on a board where you sort of went from least to most threatening. And then you also did a a second one where it was about your approach to surviving Survivor. And again, similar to Katie's, most of this is very accurate. Like it kind of played out pretty much how you wrote it. So take us through your ideas. And at what point was this? Was this like at the right on day one? Like was this kind of a week in and kind of, you know, how did it all come about? And Shona, I'm just going to jump in now. I don't play chess. I never have. So when you're explaining about the chess pieces and that, you might have to just explain about the different pieces and what they sort of mean. Okay. Um, When this was a fair way in, um, I think, Ben, if you you look at what I actually wrote. So Tim Wise um, was an amazing man. He's an amazing man. Um, He'd done a lot of... Um, film and um, 
you know, um, video stuff on social justice issues. And he and I got on really well. And so he was one of the um, producers that interviewed us, obviously, um, between um, uh, challenges, etc. And I was trying to explain it to him. And I said, Tim, have you got a piece of paper? And he did. He had a piece of paper and a, a pen. And I drew out for him how I – so this is a snapshot in time. If you look at what I actually did draw at the time, um, it's got um, Karen and Naomi in it as well. So it was obviously after the uh, – was it after the merge? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, it was after the merge. And um, the way I saw it working out was Rob was the king. So, you know, um, everybody – other than me, was trying to checkmate Rob um, to shut him down. And what I did was I, so for me, when you look at that thing, Rob is the king and he's a neutral um, agent, if you like, um, but he's, he's still, um, you know, very powerful. Off to the left, off to the right, sorry, are those that I found most um, dangerous. And I had um, Lance and Katie as bishops. So, um Matt, bishops are worth 3.5 points in chess and, you know, they, you can move them around the, the board, obviously. Um, uh, Sophie was the queen, so she was the most dangerous. I, I, I was always, always, always extremely careful around Sophie. Um, she had eyes in the back of her head. She was extremely astute. She didn't miss a trick. She was physically quite strong. I mean, she was a great competitor um, and, yeah, and, and she she had, um, she bonded with Jane um, very strongly. So you know, I had to be very careful about anything I said or, or suggested in terms of um, moving Jane on because I knew I, I might incur the wrath of Sophie. So, um, the, yeah. The Queen, you know, is worth nine points and, and she can move, any, you know, in any, pretty much in any direction and, and is very powerful on the board. To the left is those that I thought were least threatening to me and I had Joel and Lance down as knights um, and uh, then there's pawns, which are the, um, can still do damage but are the least least um, dangerous. And there I had um, Jeff and Jane, or Jeff had left at that stage, Jane and uh, Naomi and um, Karen. So I tried to um, categorise them in terms of their level of um, danger to me and to Rob, and then I um, treated them with the requisite level of caution and respect. Um, I also was explaining to Tim that I was only showing 10% of who I was, so that little diagram underneath the... um, the neutral section there where I had Rob, I just show 10% of who I am and what I'm doing and the rest of the 90% stays hidden, which was part of that SAS grey man approach to things. Um, and I, I, I guess I just, um, by categorising them, by allocating a level of um, uh, importance, by allocating a level of danger or caution, I, I, I treated them as if I was playing at, at, um, chess. And I, what I was trying to do was to... Um, not um, alienate the, those, those that were most dangerous, but to get rid of them at the right time and then protect Rob and protect myself. And then the others were pretty much just um, collateral damage. Where was Craig on that list? Well, I don't, interestingly enough, I, I'm just looking at it now, I don't have Craig on that list. So um, 
I don't have Craig on the list. I don't know why. Um, maybe it was just too early. Maybe it was, I'd see, it's not, I don't know what, it's not dated because we didn't know what the time of the day or the date was. But um, Karen's been eliminated, it would seem, and Naomi's still in the game. I don't have, um, I don't have Craig on there. Interesting, isn't it? Where would you have put him if you, in hindsight? Where do you think he would have fit in on that list? Um, well, Craig would have fitted in similar to Rob. I'm not going to say equal to Rob because I was, you know, Rob and I were um, very, very solid. But um, look, Sophie and Katie and Jane were never going to um, align with me. They might have said that they were going to have an alliance with me, but um, I didn't have that same relationship with them. I mean, I had a good relationship with them and they could relate to me and I could relate to them in terms of their their um, their drive, their um, determination to win, their, their efforts in challenges, all of those sorts of things. We were very aligned, but I had no real, really close personal relationship with any of them. Um, so, yeah, I... And, yeah, that's it really. I mean, Lance Lance was interesting. Lance was in the game but not of the game. So if Lance was in a challenge and he was called upon by the tribe, he gave it 110%. He was fantastic. Athletic, um, hell of a nice guy, as you have, you know, mentioned so many times. But he was he was not of the game. He was only the, you know, he sort of, it's like he was off to the side. He came into the game when there were things to do for the tribe and to be part of the tribe, and then he had this whole other experience that was outside of the actual game where he, um, I think he was at a point in his life where he was um, reflecting on his life um, at that point in time and wondering where he would go next. And so he spent a fair bit of time um, doing his yoga and um, kind of all that stuff, being somewhere else but not not ruthlessly in the game like some of the rest of us. You don't seem like the type of person, Shona, that would get involved in yoga, but did you ever give a give a, the yoga a crack with uh, Lance early on in the morning at all? Do you know that I spent most of my 20s living in an ashram, a yoga ashram? Wow. So, and yeah, so I actually had quite a bit in common with Lance. That said, um, I didn't ever do hatha yoga, which is the physical form. I did a lot of meditation. I taught meditation if you could and you can't really teach um, meditation you you open somebody up to the opportunity to experience meditation but yeah so I actually um, I, I could see exactly um, how the effect that that was having on Lance and and um, I, I could yeah it, it, we didn't Lance and I didn't get a lot of time together and that's a pity in a way I'm kind of looking forward to this reunion you keep talking about that you know that's uh, um, I'd like to sort of reconnect with Lance actually. Yeah, no, Lance. Uh, he was definitely he's he's definitely keen. I know to, to listen to this interview, Shona, because uh, you know he you were someone that uh, you know he felt uh, you know he talked very highly of. And then of course, Lance. Lance, you're right. Such a nice bloke, um, you know. But I think I think your analysis on Lance is spot on. You're right. He was there, and that that was evident watching the show. That uh, I think, and Lance kind of admitted this that. He, he was there on his own little journey, you know, and he said if he ever got to play the game again, of course he would play it differently. But uh, and, and I think that's a credit to yourself and Rob that I think you both obviously realised certain players were there for different reasons 
And you even mention it in one of your um, confessionals. I can't remember who you're talking about. It might have been Lance or Joel, but you say, although you admire their integrity, it's not going to get you to the end of the game. So your focus was clearly to get yourself to that final two. Oh, absolutely. I wasn't out there to pay tiddlywinks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there it is. You you. know we've been waiting for you to say that, (laughs) Shane. That was one of the all-time great confessionals in Australian Survivor or any Survivor history. Can I just say, Shona, I've dubbed you like your – now, I I don't know whether you called them confessionals back when when you played, but they're known as confessionals now when you're having that piece to camera, you're getting to say whatever you want about – they're asking you obviously about the gameplay and the other contestants. And some of those confessionals you gave, oh, my God, like – and I know you've just gone back and, and, and recently watched your season for the first time in, what, 19 years. But when you're watching those confessionals, like, you had so much passion and there was so much truth about them. Like, we love it. We've talked them up plenty on this podcast. Um, well, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, look, it was the one time when you could actually be be, be honest and be yourself. But, you know, if we go to that other diagram that I had, I was I had a connection with Tim Wise. Um, I think he was the only one that I actually really opened up to um, and it took me a little while to even get comfortable with Tim. But I saw myself as not just the, the thing about a confessional or I, I think I used to call them an interview, I think, um, was that you're not just playing against the other tribe members. The thing about Survivor is you're actually playing against, it's a multi-faceted um, game. Right from the beginning when I applied, I, I saw myself as having to um, jump through a number of hurdles. Um, Channel 9, for example, I mean, the first step in Survivor is you've got to get past the the, um, the process of um, the, you know, being selected. Um, then you've got two different tribes which you, you, you've sort of got to work, manoeuvre your way through um, and not get um, burnt. Um, the producers are there to try and extract information from you and this is a, everybody would know this is a no-brainer because you see it when at tribal council, but the host is then starts to um, drill you about all the things that you know very well that you've just sort of, God, I just mentioned that in my interview. So I... Other than with Tim, I think I, I was fairly cagey. Um, I certainly didn't talk strategy with any of the interviewers other than um, Tim, and this was at a high level. This was, listen, Tim, I'm playing um, chess and I've got to move these pieces around and I've got to make sure that, you know, I don't get checkmated or Rob doesn't get checkmated. Um, but I definitely knew that it was it – was, um, Anything I said in a, in a confessional was going to go straight to the host and that I'd be hearing about it in tribal council. Which this is what I always love when I hear players talk about this. This is I have a big admiration for one of the US winners, Danny Boatwright, who won season 11 in Guatemala, and we've just seen her return on Winners at War because a lot of people have talked down her game, saying, like, you didn't see what she did. She was a lower-tier winner, but she famously has come out and said, well, I worked in TV. I know how producers work. I didn't give them anything because I knew anything that I told them would get fed to the other players, to the host, and I'm not going to do that. And to me, that 
you know, going back to what we talked at the very beginning where you kind of you're working on your social game, physical game, that's a whole element of the game which a lot of people don't realise that you're on a TV show that there is manipulation involved in some levels of this show by producers and other people. So for you to be able to, I guess, manipulate the product that they're putting out there, that that to me is beyond smart. And I think more people need to be aware of that when they play Survivor. So I, I love hearing people who admit that this is kind of part of their strategy is to work around what they're saying and doing with the people who are interviewing you out there. Yeah, I played my cards reasonably close to my chest with um, with the producers. Shona, early in the game, you actually had an injury where you pulled that you're doing the boiling the rice or the or the water, and you it, it fell and you poured it all over your hand, and you looked like you had quite a nasty injury. Uh, what was the extent of that injury? Because it it did it looked pretty nasty. It all blistered up on your hand. Yeah. It- Blistered up on my um, my hand. Um, I think it was my left hand was probably worse than my right, and then down the side of my leg. My biggest concern there was, um, you know, an infection. You're out there, you're living in the dirt, as you could see. Um, and I thought, look, if, if I get an infection, um, they'll med- medical me out. And I was pretty uptight about that. So what I was doing was with the, with the rice. Um, I had read um, that if you we would basically um, eating hot glue because I was just cooking it and cooking it till it was gluggy, almost till it would pour. And the reason for that is that it's if you eat it that way, um, you you can digest the carbohydrate in it really um, easily. If you actually cook it so they're in individual grains of rice, once you eat it, you've actually got to di- break that rice down internally in your gut, and then you've got to absorb it. So while people weren't all that um, <laughs> weren't all that impressed with it in the beginning, that was the best way to turn that rice into something that was going to give maximum energy and maximum output for us in challenges. And what happened was I, I picked the billy up with a stick that had a, a um, fork on it, um, hook on it, and when I lifted it up, the, the hook piece of it broke off. It hit the ground and it splashed all over me. And so I wanted to do two things, minimise the um, effect with the other tribe members that I was injured and then I wanted to look after myself that the thing didn't get infected. So they did call in um, they did call in a medic, um, which you wouldn't have seen, and um, there wasn't really, I don't know, there was, they might have, maybe they gave me a Panadol or something like that, can't really remember. But my, my big way of dealing with that, as you know, is, was to get, as soon as I was down in the water, was to get salt water on it to try and keep it clean and keep it, you know, um, dry once I got out and yeah. If only you were on Kadena, uh, Shona, because um, we've certainly found out in our interviews that uh, certain Sylvan Dorney may have had a few tablets that he was sharing with a few of the other uh, players out there. So um, he could have been oh, your, okay. your guy to go to if he had been on your tribe. Oh, well, depends what sort of tablets they were, I well, suppose. Well, we, we, we're still trying to work it out. David Haas certainly doesn't know what tablets they were. He thinks he was spiked. We think he was roofied by Sylvan. <laughs> I thought they were just all smoking dope. <laughs> That's, a That's a joke. There was no rumours. There was nothing about dope. I'm just sort of having- <laughs> at the t- at the time, Shona. What was Tapara's opinion, and and of course your opinion on Kadena? Like that they lose the first three immunity challenge. 
The three eldest mum- members of their tribe all get voted off. It leaves them with the famous five, which was the, the five members left in their 20s. They look, they look like they had a pretty physically fit last five members. They managed to win the fourth immunity challenge, which is, of course, Jeff Brown goes. But then after that, they all just one by one end up getting eliminated. Like, could, could, it, what, what do you feel was their reason? Like, why couldn't they get it together? Because they did. They look physically fit. Uh, well, this is just an opinion because I wasn't part of the tribe, but I, I, they just lacked leadership. I mean, it was they were they were you know physically they looked pretty good, and certainly Craig um, would have been intimidating. I would have thought um, in terms of just his physical capabilities. Um, Tim looked strong. I mean, it, it just seemed to me that that they were all over. It was they were all over the shop. I mean, they. And, and this came up within their tribe. Um, it was decision by committee, and so that's you're never going to get there. You just, you know, if, if you ask five people or six people or eight people what their opinion, you'll get eight different um, responses. They just, I mean, Deb, Naomi, um, they're strong-looking women, and they played a, a you know a really good game, but yeah, they. Lack leadership is how I would put it um, in a nutshell. We love playing the what if scenario, Shona. I, I want to play the magical what if scenario here. Let's swap you and Lucinda. You're on Kadena. Do you feel you could have formed something with Craig like you did with Rob from the beginning? Do you think things could have been different had you been on there or is it just too hard to tell? Look, I, I definitely think that um, Craig and I would have um, formed a strong relationship because that's in fact what we did, and we're on different tribes. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I thought a lot of. I still think a lot of Craig. I mean, man, he was. Um, I think yeah, he he drew the short straw in some respects, but then you know, um, yeah. Um, what can I say? Um, they just. I'm surprised that look. I'm surprised that they didn't get their act together um, earlier in the piece. So, or and it turned out they didn't really get their act together until Craig and Naomi and, and Karen came across to us. I don't think. I mean, they um, they just didn't have the leadership. That's all I can say to you, really. I, from my experience with life and business and um, surviving, you've got to have somebody's got to sort of stand, be strong enough, and stand up and say, look. For these reasons, this is my recommendation or this is the way I think we should go and um, try and take some leadership without being, I mean, I pissed a lot of people off, I know, because I used to get so frustrated at times when um, there'd be just this waffle fest or um, people just wouldn't couldn't get their act together. And look, yeah, and there were times I couldn't get my act together, I'd better like, fess up to that too, but... Because towards the end, you, you really did get very, very tired. But I was just going to say, Shona, feel free at any stage to refer to me as the young warrior on this <laughs> interview oh. as well. Hang on, More hang on. No, no, be- no, no, no. You're stealing my thing, Matt. You know I said I would make it in life if she calls me. <laughs> Don't you steal my part, Matthew Dyson. <laughs> well, I've got to say, Ben, I do have a bone to pick with you about age. Okay. Uh-oh, what have I done? How old am I? You are 21. 
<laughs> oh yes. All right, you've just redeemed yourself. Okay. Clever boy. Good. Yeah, no, I, I know, I, I'm, I'm a smart boy. I know, I know the answer to that question. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, you could apply for Australian Survivor. Yeah, um, well, when you, you know. <laughs> when you talked to Sophie, you said I was seventy. I did thought, I? What? Oh shit! Yes, you did. Wow. Never mind. Okay. You yourself. No, you, you have every right to have a bone to pick with me, Shona. That was disgusting of me. I apologise. Sorry about that. But no, twenty-one. Absolutely. You, you know, yeah. that's. Always the correct answer. It's um, it's interesting actually. Um, hearing your thoughts on on Kadena and kind of we'll we'll get to the the merge in just a second to sort of you know talk about sort of that relationship with Craig and how that played out. But just before we get to that, you're talking about food before. We've mentioned this already. You had a reward where you won some chocolate. You loved your cherry ripes. We we very much love that episode. Cherry ripes, cherry ripes. You you were you were going off, Shona. How, how, just how much do you love cherry ripes? You said you've got one in the drawer next to you. Is this something that you just kind of have every every day? Um. Well, uh, yeah, uh, cherry ripes. I, yeah, I'm a big. I love them, and you you know they've um they have uh, a, a double dip cherry ripes these days they had at one stage they were doing um, white chocolate cherry ripes they don't mm, seem to have that anymore yeah. but uh, there's a whole range of cherry ripes which I know um, when I used to do all the US Survivor interviews, I, I didn't actually realise for a long period that this was a very uniquely Australian chocolate because there was actually one of the US contestants, Philip Shepard, uh, for those who, who are wondering, he had been to Australia and was obsessed with cherry ripes. He's like, Ben, you've got to send me some cherry ripes. So I sent him some cherry ripes. So it's, it's kind of one of these uniquely Australian things. My fiance is Canadian. She tried them. She hates them. She's like, what are these things? These are disgusting. But yeah, that look that Shona gave me, I'm exactly the same. Like, how can you hate cherry ripes? Cherry ripes are amazing. <laughs> yep. Um, every time I go back to the States, I, I that same, same, um, Ben, I take a big box of cherry ripes back to my, um, my sister-in-law. They're the best. My, my wife, she, she's a big fan of the dark chocolate cherry ripe. Oh, the dark, yep, dark. Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And um, did I mention the double dipped? Double yep. dipped. Mention them again because I love them too. I don't think the white chocolate cherry ripes could have been very popular because they did, they weren't out for very long and I haven't seen them for well forever, really. So I don't think they could have been very popular. Then there's what? a classic cherry ripe, and then there's you know you can buy them with um, two small ones in. I don't know why anyone would ever buy them like that unless you were just. <laughs> open and ate both of them at the same time anyway but you, you, you got to get the king size you got to get the king size cherry oh, ripe yeah king size is great i gotta I, say I, you're I comparing actually... to craig here and your love of chocolate this is great you and oh, craig i don't I, no no i don't like chocolate i don't eat chocolate in any way shape or form except for cherry ripes right seriously i don't i don't eat any other chocolate i don't particularly like uh, um other chocolate but Give me a cherry ripe and I'm anybody's. You're, you're <laughs> <laughs> there well, you go. Link, Link, Lincoln did often, he always had the cherry ripe. So when you were in the immunity challenges, yeah. he would always try to, you know, persuade you down with a with the cherry ripe. And, of course, the challenge that you ended up winning, the immunity challenge we were on the pontoon, he had a pocket full of cherry ripes and he's trying to get you down. Jane's trying to steal them off you. She's saying, well, give me. And he's like, the cherry ripes aren't for you, Jane. They're for Shona. <laughs> and uh, you ended up, you, you stuck with your guns and you ended up winning that challenge. Yeah, no, that was never, ever going to happen. I wasn't going to get down off that platform 
it, it, it was never going to happen. That one, that one had my name on it. It was, um, uh, it, it was very challenging, not from the point of view of standing on the platform. That was very easy for me because of all my windsurfing. But um, that was the where um, the, 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 the sort of river um, met the ocean and the wind the and the wind shear and the temperature was just, God, it was freezing. Um, but I... I did manage to um, negotiate um, Katie off the off her platform, which was great, and probably just as well because I, you didn't see this in the in the um, on the show. But we we both got off the, the once um, Katie acquiesced. We both got out and wa- walked in through the water, and um, the medic met us and was sort of wanting to take our temperature, and I was being very you know. Uh, oh, don't be ridiculous, you know, I'm fine. But I think what I wasn't and neither was Katie. So K- Katie's temperature didn't even register on the thermometer and I think mine was down about 32 or something. So um, the normal range, I don't know what the normal range is, but it's, it was well below the normal range. And what they did was um, the Producers wanted us all to go back to camp, and the, the medic said no, that we weren't going anywhere. And he, so Katie was off first, and and they put her in the back of a, a troopie, or both of us, and put the heater on, and they had us in there for about two hours. And then when I came off and was sort of trying to fob them off and go, no, 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 I'm fine, he took my temperature, said no, you're not going anywhere either, and he put Katie and I in the same sleeping bag yeah. because I was warmer than she was. And they wanted some of my warmth, my body temperature, to sort of help Katie um, get her temperature up. And, you know, that's the time when I – I related to Katie a lot. I've said this on the show, you know, like 25. That, that, Katie, how awesome was she? I mean, uh, focused, determined, single-minded, competitive. I mean, take no prisoners, um, top triathlete, I had I have immense respect for her. The Achilles heel in Katie's game was around um, her. She was very at that point in time. She was very emotionally fragile. But all the other boxes she ticked. So being physically fit in and of itself is not going to get you to the end of Survivor. Being um, clever and, and intelligent in and of itself won't get you to the end. There's a whole um, uh, you know, being strategic in and of itself. You've got to combine all of these aspects of um, the game and um, and Katie ticked all the boxes except emotionally she was vulnerable. Um, but coming back, to, sorry, coming back to the situation in the troop carrier and the, the low body temperature, I felt incredibly protective of um, Katie and very concerned for her. So there's a part of me that kind of um, there's a part of me that really wanted to wanted to wrap Katie up, wanted to protect her, didn't want anything um, adverse to happen to her. And that continued all the way through. That despite the fact that um, you know it came a bit unravelled at the end when you know the alliances and um, played out the way that they did. But I always felt very, very close to Katie and very protective of her, um, not 
from a, um, a situation of um, superiority at all, but just from you know, I, I thought she was. Thought, I thought she was in trouble um, with that situation, and I, I didn't want anything to happen to her. Just say if if Rob happened to have been voted out, or or something happened that took him out of being in your final two plans, would Katie have been the next option for you? I don't think uh, Katie would have aligned with me. I, I don't – she was certainly forming an alliance or, or proposing an alliance, yes, but I um, I don't think I would have been safe with Katie because I knew that she and Sophie and Jane were pretty, pretty tight. So – um, I would have looked somewhere else than Katie to go to the final two because I think Katie would have Katie would have burnt me. Guessing that person wouldn't have been Jane because we know obviously you uh, <laughs> had some thoughts on Jane. Now it's funny you were talking before about Sophie. Uh, she was your queen on your little piece of paper. We've kind of dubbed her the queen on this show, uh, Shona. You need to maybe listen to that uh, interview to find out why, but. Was there any moments with Jane that that weren't seen or maybe that, were there any positive moments with Jane or was it just a constant frustration kind of working and living with Jane? Look, I I got frustrated just like everybody else with, with everybody else and they got frustrated with me. The one thing about Jane that we all have to remember is that she applied for Australian Survivor, 8,500 applications and Jane made the cut. So automatically for me she deserves um, respect I had no other than that so so I had no personal um, it's nothing I could connect with Jane you know I, there was nothing there um, Sophie was strongly connected to Jane and I think it was a rather a mother and daughter type relationship Sophie was away from her um, her family and her kids in particular. And at one stage in one of the interviews, um, Katie starts, uh, sorry, um, Sophie starts to talk about Jane and says, look, and then goes to a friend. And so I think that that relationship was more, you know, more a, a daughter and, and, and mother type relationship. So um, I was, yeah, I, I didn't really have any closeness around Jane. I, I tried to, um, you know, encourage her and, and I did try to connect with her, I guess, if nothing else, over the fishing thing, you know, hey, Jane, you know, how about you, you know, gut a fish or take a fish off a hook or – but Jane Jane got to where she got simply because of a relationship with Sophie. That's the fact. But I'm not – that doesn't uh, denigrate um, um, Jane's – value or, or um, the fact that she, 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 she made it into Survivor and she got a long way through, um, yeah. You have a very honest confessional later in the game where you talk about with the girls in general on your tribe, you just didn't have that same connection. It's a very – one of the most honest confessionals I think I've ever heard in Survivor history Um we often saw the girls would be Sophie, Katie, Jane would they would go down to the beach, they'd do a bit of sunbaking, a bit of swimming, and then it would often shoot to you and you're in like the little rock pool having a bathe yourself, like by yourself. And you talk about it. You talk about, well, I just 
you know, I, I, I'm, that's not my lifestyle. I don't talk about the the latest frock that I'm going to buy from from the store. And was that something that you're always sort of conscious of, like when obviously not having that really close connection with these females on your tribe? Yeah, I, I connected with the women on my tribe when it was a challenge or when it was um, something um, – Yeah. I saw myself in Katie. I've said that several times now. but um, And with Sophie, I, I had huge respect for her, but I, I didn't have a point of conversation with them. I, I, I couldn't I, – I, I don't know what I would have talked about because the sorts of things that they were interested in were, were not part of my, you know, my life really. Um. They really weren't. So, but I, I respected them, and I, I, I really enjoyed competing with them. You know, because we were as a tribe. That was part of the whole thing. I mean, to see, um, to see Katie and Sophie, um, flat out, you know, going to win a challenge. I mean, how could you not stand back and go, "Woohoo! I'm pretty glad they're on my side," and 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 respect and admire that. There was there was, <laughs> but in terms of conversation, well, there wasn't really much for me there and vice versa of course they had things that were no doubt you know they enjoyed doing and there there seemed to be that that renewed level of respect though from what we've heard from Sophie and Katie in particular that although there may not have been that perfect connection where you can talk about things like that they, they ultimately respected you I'm not saying Jane didn't respect you Jane obviously much to what you said kind of you guys just didn't you know, have things in common, so there's kind of that there. But it, it, it's, it's, I think, a unique part of your season that kind of there is almost that level of disparity between you guys, but it's it's never a, a negative thing. We saw that, I think, on, you know, uh, Survivor Africa at the time that was, you know, Matt's mentioned that was sort of airing while you guys were filming. I mean, that's famous for having a huge age kind of divide between the older and younger where they didn't get along to the point where they just were purely against each other, whereas at least with yours you may not have gotten along in terms of that social connection, but you still respected each other on the level that you can still work together and aren't just against each other. Yes. Yep, you're right. Um, I don't know what else I can add to that, really. Um, definitely respected them, but I wondered, you know, like I, I did wonder what the rationale had been by putting, I mean, it was a big ask of Jane to be put into that situation. Um, gosh, it was a big ask uh, because she, she, I think she was, not only was she 18 and young, but I think she was a young 18-year-old. She didn't have very much um, life experience in terms of being out in the big wide world. That's my my perception. Um, yeah. I'm going to ask your relationship with Joel, but that that is such an interesting one in, in itself because, of course, there's the, the, the famous final three sort of deal and the final two deal. So before I get onto that, when when Aurora merged, of course, there's Karen, Naomi, Craig. We, we know that your relationship with Craig was was very good. Um, you got along really well. Karen was only with you for a few days. She was the first member of Aurora to get voted out. 
and then Naomi. But was there? Did you have much conversation with Naomi and Karen in those few days that they were actually there on Aurora? No, not no, not not really. Is it, is it just they, they weren't they just weren't a part of your plans? Obviously, pretty much. Um, again, I you know at the after party I, I had some time with them and. Um, you know, we caught up, we went out for dinner in Melbourne and um, it, it, that was a different situation. But at the time, um, you know, they were dead men walking really. One thing I just want to quickly backtrack before we get to the the Craig situation because I'm so enthralled to hear your view on this um, situation with Craig. But we were talking about food before and there was the reward challenge that you had prior to the merge, the, the phone one. Uh, where you got the chance to speak to your mum. Now, you, you went on this this list of all the food that you wanted. Now, I've got this written down. There's so much food going on there. But <laughs> I have to ask, did she deliver? When you got to that airport, did you have, like, cauliflower and cheese, <laughs> tomato and onion, big baked rice, uh, all this sort of stuff? Was it there ready for you to go? Well, it was at home. Like, she didn't go. <laughs> she brought it out to the airport. But, yeah, this certainly was. I, I you know... When the when the, after the last tribal council, um, Rob and I left the, the location, and um, I won't go into all the detail unless we you want to. But um, we were flown out the next day, so we didn't finish on location until about um, oh look, it was probably half past twelve midnight, I guess, and taken back to our our accommodation for the night. Um, and we were, Peter, um, uh, Stephen Peters was there. But we were put on an aircraft the next morning at 7.30 and we sort of flew home. There was no, you know, the others at least had some time to, to debrief and what have you. And and so we were both filthy dirty, if you imagine. Um, we did get clean before we got on the aircraft. But um, my mother met me at the airport and, and took me home and, um it was. She had heaps of food. I, I was. Uh, I think we had pizza before we left. Um, left the location, but I. Yeah, she did. She had lots of food. I. I, I but I, it was a funny thing. I, I. It did take a little bit of adjusting because, although I was very hungry and I did eat, it was only you couldn't really eat in terms of volume. You couldn't eat a lot because your stomach had shrunk. And after after that, days after that, weeks after that, I was still um, because we'd been so used to looking on the ground for food for the the little um, fruit on the pig face. I had difficulty getting in a car. I didn't really want to drive around anywhere. I walked everywhere, and I shuffled along and, and constantly had my eyes on the ground looking for food. So, um, uh, it, yeah, it was good to be home. It was good to have mum's cooking. But um, I wasn't able to eat as much as I thought I could. <laughs> so, so none of this, uh, the spinach slice, I think you were very keen for that, uh, the hot mac and cheese with Tabasco. Ben, yep. what was the soup, Ben? What was the soup? Uh, was it, was it, we got this clarified, didn't we, recently? I've written down vicious schwa. What, what is that soup that oh, you said? Vicious schwa, I like it hot. It's generally served cold. It's um, a leek and potato soup. Right. Okay then, good to know. Okay, no cherry ripes. Were they on the ripe, ready for you to go as well? Uh, I'm not 
sure. I might have shuffled my way down to the shops once or twice or <laughs> half a dozen times and bought cherry ripes. <laughs> While we're on the the topic of uh, communicating with with family members back home, when when uh, Joel won the fifteen minutes on the Skype call. Uh, you all got to have a couple of minutes on text message as well, and there's a cl- you were doing the one finger text. Of course, phones back, mobile phones back then. I didn't own a mobile phone myself until about 2007. So, so, uh, but have you got a little bit better on the on the text messaging, Shona? No, no, not at all. No, I, I still use one thing. You know what? I I haven't learned how to use predictive text. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a very, it's a lifesaver, that one. The merge, I mean, Craig, look, he talked so highly of you in his interview. I know you've listened to his interview and you've kind of talked about him there, but what was it about Craig kind of that you drew to him? You labelled him the young warrior, of course, you know. I mean, just what was it about him and and how close were you to siding with him? Was there ever that thought process in your head that maybe I should go with Craig instead of Rob? Look, there was everything I liked about him. And, it, again, it's the, the common um, characteristics. I saw it in Sophie. I saw it in Katie. I saw it in Rob. I saw it in Lance. I saw it in Joel. Um, probably didn't see him as much in Jeff because he wasn't around as long, but I'm sure he, he, he had similar characteristics. And it's all those things. It's um, I'm going to go out and grab this thing by the jugular and shake it until there's nothing left. What else is there in life but to come to know yourself? You know, money, uh, possessions, people. At the end of the day, it's all about, for me anyway, it's all about coming to know yourself. And they're the aspects of something that survivor um, nurtures you are allowed to go out to this exotic location in all sorts of foul weather, hot and cold. You are mixing with really strong characteristics of people with their personalities and their skills and their their physical abilities, and that's and it's that's that's what it is, and that's what I saw in in um, in Craig. He was he's it's the same blood it's the same tribe we might have been in different tribes but I'll tell you what it was the same tribe um, it's that thing in people that you just go yeah they're my tribe um, he was you know he was physically strong he looked after himself he had a great personality he was going to get to the end no matter what um, I mean what about his um his video <laughs> yeah. what, how clever was that how clever was that he solicited his mother's help um, it was brilliant, and he pulled it off. Oh, I thought that was brilliant. So it was all—it was all of those things um, that I saw in, in, in him. And don't forget, or don't forget, you won't, you don't know about it. But most of my life has been in and around working and living with men. I've got three brothers, a father who was, you know, pretty present in my life. Um, my career was around. Um, men, engineers, other pilots, there were very few, I think there was only about three, in, including me, women pilots in Western Australia who were working commercially at the time, um, flight test teams, hello, they're all blokes, um, flight test analysts, engineers, other pilots, um, data analysts. Um, so I felt comfortable with men. I knew 
I, I sort of think I know how, well, I know how they tick, but it doesn't come from the same perspective, for example, as, you know, it's not about how you dress or, you know, whether you want to jump into the cot with them. It's all about am I your equal? Are you my equal? And, um, that, you know, you can disagree, but you they'll slap you on the back and say come to the pub and have it. So it's – don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it, it's that male energy, but it's, it's – I, I don't want to be a blokey kind of girl, if you know what I mean. Um, it's just that – that's where I grew up. That's where it's familiar. That's where I'm comfortable. And so that's probably why um, I was at ease with um, Rob and Craig. So did you ever consider, like, I mean, obviously you were very loyal to Rob. Clearly you kind of had that from the beginning. But was, was there any part of you that was like, well, what would happen if I ended up with Craig instead? Um, not really because I would – I had a 98% confidence level that Rob and I were tight and would go to the end together. But that 2% um, occurred when there was all of the um, involvement with Katie and her plan and Sophie and Rob. And there was a part of me that went, you know what, Shona, you you, you, you definitely need a plan B here. Um, Plus Rob never looked fully impressed that you were getting that close with Craig either. Like that must have got him a little bit worried. Oh, yeah, and it was designed to. Yeah. <laughs> I had to keep him a little bit on his toes. Which, I mean, little but, things too, like, you know, you, you have the ceremony where you kind of your idea is to make yeah. you all kind of one try. And, that, I mean, that a lot of that also plays into the fact too, as we've talked constantly throughout this season, you guys didn't get a merge buff, so you were literally sitting around a camp with different coloured buffs on when you meant to be the same yeah. tribe as well. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's fascinating to kind of hear that perspective that that's... That's strategy. You kind of, you know, keeping Rob on his toes. I love hearing that. Yep, you um, you spread your risk. Which I have to ask then. The title of young warrior, uh, which of course Rob did not take to very kindly. Yep. Sort of his confessional about <laughs> dubbed him the young warrior. Shona, what what does it take? to have you call someone a young warrior? What can I do for this episode for you to label me as a young warrior? Well, uh, let me see. You could be um, buffed, I guess you could, and you are buffed. You're wearing the Aurora buff. So there's a big tick. Um, Good looking, definitely a big Thank you. Great conversationist, big tick. Um, how do you go in sort of, you know, swimming challenges or, or, or over obstacles or? Matt's getting too sing. close to the. <laughs> I, 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 I don't like Matt he'll, coming he'll in prob- to answer this. <laughs> Shona, he'll probably sink, sink to the bottom probably. Look, I, I can <laughs> swim. I can't do any worse than Matt Dyson did. I mean, the guy got voted off first after two days, so I, I would say I would last at least three in Survivor. So, you know, I, I think I could hold my own, yes. Yes. Okay, and what about cherry ripes? Do you like cherry ripes? Shona, I, I yeah, love them, and, I, and I'm not just sucking up. People think I'm a sucker, but legitimately cherry ripes are one of my favourite chocolates. Well, I think you you tick all my boxes then, Ben. I'll have to call you Ben the Young Warrior. Oh, Woo! that's it. That's it, Matt. We've done it. I've won the Australian Survivor Archives. I've I've. I've peaked. This is it. This is 
I'm emotional. Ben. This is emotional just, right now. Just, just one last question, Ben. How old am I? You are 21, <laughs> Shona. That's it. Perfect. Wow. Perfect score. Yep. Damn. Ten, after 10 years of Survivor podcasting, Ben, finally you, you get – you're the young warrior of podcasting. I, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't. This nothing can top this. This is this is this is the peak survivor podcasting. What can I say, Shona? You are wow, um, wow. I might have to remove that throne from Jane and pass it over. I think kind of Queen Jane's gone. I think we're we're going to have to pass the crown over to Shona, perhaps. Perhaps when you apply for Australian surviving, we better. Um, take some of this conversation and that you can put that in your application video. I, I failed on three occasions in my application video. So now that I've been officially dubbed a young warrior, I think I'm in with a shot. I do too. Fourth now, time lucky. Now, Shona, while, while Ben takes a minute to, uh, to soak all that up. a moment to compose is, myself. His new title of young warrior. Let's, let's talk about Joel. There were some great times on, on the series where – yeah, you look you look like you get pretty frustrated with Joel towards the end of it. We know Joel was going around camp yelling out giddy up and was trying to give all this motivational speaking and let's be honest what was he 20 20 odd years of age at the time. Um there was a times when basically there was that little banter where you said basically you had to give him a kick up the ass to get him to do something. Um what was your relationship like with Joel? Oh, my relationship with Joel was really good. Um, he, he, you know, we all got on each other's nerves. Um, Joel, perhaps the giddy up thing was a bit over the top, but um, no, I got on well with Joel. Um, he and Jane went to the same happy clappy church. Um, I don't think they knew each other um, while while they were there, but they they kind of had that connection. And I, Joel. Um, you know, produced all of those um, qualities. You know, he 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 was very um, upfront, honest, open, big heart. Um, gosh, again, watch him in the challenges. He he gave it his all. Uh, yeah, my relationship with Joel was was good. I'd love to hear the perspective of the deal with Joel because, you know, unfortunately we can't hear either of their perspectives of this so you're kind of it in order to tell us about what went down in terms of maybe what we didn't see on screen i mean how who was the instigator was it joel was it rob was it yourself and when it all went down was this something that you legitimately believed he would do he would give up his spot so you guys could make the final two hence why you went with it um it was yeah look it it, it came out of left field um, Joel, um, you saw the, the sort of um, the pitch that he gave us. He wanted to go through as far as he could. He, he was only young and, and he had aspirations to be a motivational speaker um, and there was somebody who was mentoring him from the, from the church that was doing that. Um, he was earnest, he was convincing and, um, look, the thing, about, the thing about Survivor is that, um, it, it, it sort of um, it incorporates the game allows for things like deceit, um, uh, betrayal, uh, 
those aspects of the game, but it also incorporates integrity and honesty and truth. So if you've got somebody who's playing the game and wants, like Joel and like Lance, who wants to the best of their ability to uh, reflect those values, then um, you, you, you can be reasonably, I think, reasonably trustful of what you see is what you get. And Joel did make an earnest um, sort of pitch to Rob and I that if we could take him through, if he could get through to number three, then that would be helpful to him in terms of his career. Um, he wanted to work with young people. I mean, all the for me, it was really fantastic stuff. Um, he came up with a suggestion. We went with it. Um, and it was a risk, but um, it, it paid off. Which you must at that point, if you've legitimately got a person who is coming to you and not even caring about the game, it sounds at that point he's clearly more concerned about his career and what this show is going to do to his career rather than any shot at winning the game. That's a no-brainer that you've got someone there because at that point in Survivor, we hadn't really seen someone play a, a move like this to get them further in the game. We would see that a lot later on. You know, we compared it a lot, if you're familiar with Survivor Fiji, with Dreams and Yowam, where Dreams kind of lies and says, like, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, give me the car and I'll take you to the end. And he never did. But, like, you know, Joel could have easily done that. But that must be something that, you know, clearly at that point in the game is a lot different. And you're, again, no-brainer. Somebody, oh, yeah, I'll give up my spot. I don't care about the game. Uh, I only care about looking good on TV and making a career out of this. Uh, look, Ben, also, I mean, it was very, very genuine. I mean, um, Joel wanted to go on and, and do some good in the world. Um, well, that was my sense of it, and I, I definitely um, took that on board. He, um, and for us, it, yeah, I know, Ben, you're saying it's a no-brainer, but, like, as we all know, people in life can often promise you the world. But when the when crunch time comes, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to live up to that promise. We, we've all had it happen to us at some time in life where someone will promise us something and they'll renege on that at the last second. That's that's life. So, to me, you're, you're saying it's a no-brainer, but to me, I still think it's one of the gutsiest, biggest plays in the history of this game, because Shona, you know, you and Rob have have put your hands like you you've gone along with this deal, and, and it's a play. And in in Survivor, you have to make deals, you have to make choices. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. I still think it's a very gutsy move, and it, it was the right one for you to get to the end. Um, and 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 of course, Joel did live up to to, to his agreement and go third, but. That would have been easy for Joel at the very last second to say, you know what, I want to get to the end, I want to win the money, and at the very last second say nut and vote one of you out along with Sophie and Katie. So I'll give you credit. I think it's one of the gutsiest moves of all, of all time. Yeah. Um, it was a risk, <laughs> put it mildly. But, um, again, it's this business of, are you playing the game of Survivor or are you you're being your outside world self in Survivor? Because subterfuge, betrayal, um, deceit is part of the, the game allows for that. It's part of the game. And that's what Rob and I were trying to say, Katie, Katie, it's a game. Um, but 
Joel and Lance lived their lived experience while out there. They, they've got Christian values and they upheld those. And that, for me, is to be immensely respected. But there was a division. I, I'm speaking for Rob, but there was a division for Rob and I. We were playing the game of Survivor. And for me, uh, while I did everything I could not to be deceitful or to lie, um, I was playing a game. I was like playing a game of chess or I'm playing a game of, you know, something else. It didn't reflect, I didn't feel like that was going to reflect on me in my outside world. How I live my world, how I live my life day to day, I'd be appalled if I, I wouldn't even contemplate being deceitful or dishonest. But in the game, you're allowed to do that. And that's part of the game. And the aim of the game is to get to the end. So in speaking for myself, I, I knew it was a risk, but there was some, there was something about Joel that I went, you know, this I don't think he's capable of of being um, two-timing or double-standarding us or, or and that play, that played out um, to be the to be the way it went. He he lived up to that. And if you think about it, I mean, because he wanted to go on and be a motivational speaker, because he wanted to go on and work with young people, um, I think that stood him in good stead. I've used the word career, but that's probably um, not an appropriate description to use for Joel because, it, it, like you and I might have a, a police career or a pilot's career, Joel saw this as being um, his life, something that he could do um, that was um, in, in, integral to who he was as a person. So, yeah. Which which what kind of, I think, like, yeah, like sort of back to my point when I said it's sort of a no-brainer, I mean, a lot of that was based on, like, you would know Joel at that point as in, like, as you just said, you don't believe he would be capable of pulling the wool over your eyes and pulling a, you know, a shifty on you. And I mean, lo and behold, if he had a bloody oath, Joel, you're a fantastic actor. Like you did a good job. But, um, and I think in all fairness, you know, taking out of uh, the picture, what happened a lot down the line. I mean, Joel arguably was probably the most successful person post survivor in terms of what he was able to achieve from being on survivor, uh, you know, with his sort of media career. So, it's we talked a lot about that i think on the finale could have matt and i had you know varying opinions on it but i mean just, i mean i think the the key thing with that of course is that you're playing survivor in 2001 when you filmed it airing in 2002 2001 survivor is the biggest television show in the world and reality tv is huge i mean big brother 2001 household names of these people so for someone like joel he's seen these experiences from what is happening with reality tv so i'm sure he's kind of saying, well, hey, this is going to be a bloody big deal. I'm going to get a lot of attention out there for what I would like to achieve. So, you know, he was thinking that way. And while modern Survivor fans are going to look very negatively on him essentially laying down and almost, you would say, quitting in order to get you guys further in the game, I think there's that word perspective and context again. People need to kind of review it as to to why he did it and, and what he did it for. Well, it was his best shot. Whether he was he ended up sort of um, reneging on his on, on his agreement or not, it was his best shot to to start. He was honestly he was the eleventh hour and fifty ninth minute um, about to um, go home. So that which, was I thought that was which on yeah, that. On, sorry, um, again the what if scenario, uh, Shona, that never happens. Joel goes home 
uh, instead of Jane that night. What was the end game then for you and Rob? Kind of like, was it a simple case of Jane, Sophie, Katie? Uh, kind of, you know, how how did you see it playing out had Joel gone at six instead of Jane? Uh, good question. It's hard to... Um, I think probably still Katie would have been the next um, the next one out if we could pull that off. I mean, it depends on who wins the, the challenge, of course. And, um, yeah, Katie was... Katie was the probably the next biggest threat because don't forget at the end of the day you sit next to somebody in tribal council and your team or your the tribal um, council are going to select somebody to be the ultimate winner. And I think um, Rob would have been better off against Katie perhaps than oh, – sorry, um, Sophie than against Katie. A better chance of getting to the to – the, ultimate, you know, sole survivor. Which is interesting to hear that because Sophie was talked a lot about, I mean, you mentioned it, of course, you know, thinking about her position and everything and and you saw her as a threat. Why do you think Rob would have had a better chance against Sophie if you thought Sophie was somebody who could have won? But did people respect Katie a lot more than maybe Sophie's game? Is that kind of where you come across with that opinion? I think Sophie, uh, Katie was just out there more, you know, more aggressive, more um, competitive, um, overtly, and more visible. Um, so if you were sitting on the jury and you were to choose between Rob and Katie, Katie definitely took it took it out to all of us, really, um, whereas Sophie was a much more low-key player. She wasn't as visible, even though she was very, very strong in challenges. You, you didn't really get that sense of it, I don't think, from looking at the, the um, footage. Um, so, you know, again, you know, Katie had talked about how, how, you know, little money she had, um, if these sorts of things weigh into somebody's consideration in terms of who they're going to choose. So Katie, highly competitive, uh, very visible, very vocal, um, uh, Sophie, much more low key. And as Katie pointed out, you know, had been horse riding and didn't need the money. So I guess that's what's going through my mind at the moment, Ben, all those sorts of things that perhaps play, come into play. Why, it's why I think um, Rob would have had a better chance against Sophie than Katie. Which I've got to ask this question now, Shane. This was a question I was going to ask um, after, but we're on the topic of it now. May as well do it. You're the last person we'll ask this to. We've been asking every single one of our jury members had the final two been a certain way, who would have you voted for? And the one that has been most intriguing uh, is when we asked who would have they voted between Rob and Katie. Let's again play that scenario. You, of course, would be in the jury in that situation. You wouldn't be in the final two. So who gets your vote at the end if it's Rob or Katie? Rob. That's because the sort of thing we knew. <laughs> the background, the day one alliance that we formed, the journey that we both took side by side for all of those days, 39 days, Rob and I, metaphorically speaking, were joined at the hip. And um, I wasn't prepared to um, change sides to, to go with Craig, for example, um, even though I was – you know, was, there were lots of things about Craig that I was I found very attractive and very sort of um, – so, yeah, it would definitely be wrong. But I, I do want to say that, you know, Kate, Katie would – you know, Katie played a bloody good game. 
very close that vote. I just say that uh, so you, you're the final one there, kind of. I know we sort of mentioned this, I think, on our uh, Sophie interview that at that point we'd interviewed, you know, we sort of didn't know how that was going to play out. But so that ends up being 4-2. Ultimately, we don't know how Joel would have voted, but it wouldn't really matter at the end, even if Joel voted for Katie. I mean, he voted for Rob, so who knows if that would have changed. But Shona, I don't know if you've sort of heard or done any of the other ones, but I'll let you know. We, the other question we asked the people was, who would they get vote between yourself and Joel? You, you wiped the floor in that one. Uh, Joel only got the one vote. You got all the other votes. So if that final two had been yourself and Joel, you'd be half a million dollars richer. Congratulations. Oh, thanks very much. Would the check be in the mail? Would it be? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you've called me. I'm a one. I'm a young warrior now. That comes with financial benefits. So I'll uh, I'll be sure to send that through to you as soon as I can. Excellent. And they'd be US. Oh, and Canadian dollars, wouldn't they? Canadian dollars worth well, more than Australia. So it's uh, you know you'll get some. Yeah. Yeah. Shona, that the night that that Jane got voted out, it, it was a tied vote. So you you had just made the final three deal with Joel. It ends up being a tied vote. Were you aware that you had to do a second um, vote? Like, because there was a second vote because Jane had to do a speech, Joel had to do a speech. But that was the first time where I think finally people realised how close you and Rob were. And Katie obviously realising, hang on a sec, something's going on here. It's a tied vote. In the end, Jane ends up going home. But did you realise that that was the process, that you had to re-vote? No, I didn't. So how did you feel when you were told you've got to re-vote? Were you thinking, shit, this plan might kind of go south all of a sudden if they have to they kind of catch on what we've done here? Uh, <laughs> I don't – look, honestly, we were so tired. I, I didn't realise there would be a second vote. No, I didn't. Um, I don't know that there was even time to sort of start computing that stuff. To be honest, I, I – I, Remember going up, and I was going to vote the same way, but um, I, no, I didn't. I didn't realise the implications at the time. Because everything changed after that point. So from from the or from that night, and then the next day, obviously the the relationship with Katie and Rob really deteriorates. Um, she ends up going on a bit of a winning streak with with her reward challenges and immunity challenges. There's a big debate. This is something that Ben and I have spoken about a lot. After that, you were adamant you wanted Sophie gone, and Rob was adamant, no, no, we want we want uh, Katie gone. That 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 he wanted Katie gone. And and your argument was, well, Katie, she's a bit, you know, she's a bit weak, fragile at the moment, a bit weak. Where you were adamant, if. In the end, Katie ends up winning immunity, so Sophie ends up going. Let's just say you win immunity and both of them are able to be voted for. Did you and Rob, because we, we never saw it on the, on the show, did you and Rob ever decide who was going to go home? Because you were both pretty adamant that you wanted the different people. No, we didn't ever canvas that. Um, I, I would have I definitely, uh, as best I can you know, say now, I would have stuck to my guns. I, I, th I mean, I wouldn't have let it um, create a, a, you know, a, um, a irreversible situation between Rob and I. But I would have, I would have argued that one very strongly because, you know, I definitely wanted Sophie gone. And, and what point. was? What, what was it like around that period with, with the deterioration of, of Katie and Rob's relationship? Because obviously 
the relationship you had with Rob and how close you two were, Katie obviously felt like she had that same relationship with Rob. And to a degree, almost Sophie did as well. Um, you see, we see a lot where Sophie talks about getting to the end with Rob. What was it like in the, in the, in that period of play there where relationships were, because let's be honest, Tapara had a good run for over a month and it wasn't until the end where the relationships really did start deteriorating. Oh, look, it was horrible, absolutely horrible, because Katie was relentless. She was deeply hurt, right, and um, and it affected Rob. Rob had a lot of trouble sleeping out there anyway, right from the jump, Never, you know, take even with Jeff out of the way and the snoring not an issue or not much of an issue because um, other people did snore. But um, Rob struggled with sleeping and um, he was – he was constantly playing the game in his mind all the time from what I could see. Um, you know, we talk about Lance and, and yoga. Um, you, no, no one saw this in, in any of the, the footage, but um, my, um, uh, you know, the thing I took out um, with me, my you know, special item or whatever it was, was a set of me- meditation beads. And it, early in the morning I would get up um, right at first light and I'd walk out to the coast and I'm interesting with looking at the, the um, footage again I actually saw the little overhang that p- place where I used to sit and meditate because this game can um, I'll, I'll, this game can really screw with your mind you know if you're constantly thinking about all of the different um, nuances and and permutations of what can happen and who's talking to whom and one of the things for me was this ability to, to go and sit in the early mornings and just clear my mind. So I, I, while it was still tiring, don't get me wrong, it was, you know, I, was, it was, I don't think it was as draining or as um, impactful, that whole, that game playing side of it. So when Katie, when Rob was tired, he was stressed, and when Katie was constantly at him and accusing him of betrayal, and um, that really cut. Rob to the quick. Um, he felt it, you know. He and I think after he left the game, um, he, you know, he he needed to debrief as well with somebody, you know, somebody professional to kind of get through all of that stuff. So it was a horrible time. In the end, I just I had to cut it off. So um, when Katie was coming to me and at me, in the end, I just I just went, you know what, Katie, this is the way it is. And, you know, basically full stop because it, 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 I'm not going to be changing where I'm at and what I'm planning on doing and how it's going to play out for me because it was, it was, it was just going around in a loop at the time and, and it was, I thought it was actually quite damaging to Katie as well. So, um, yeah. Well, when you watch that back, and you see the little extra bits that obviously you're not privy to when she's, you know, speaking to the camera. And, you know, we talk about your tiddlywinks confessional and kind of I, I label that the second greatest confessional of the season because to me the greatest confessional comes when Katie essentially wants to kill one of you uh, to get away in the game. I mean, we laugh. I mean, it's a great piece of television. But, of course, you know, as we spoke with Katie, it can also, you know, I think that would be handled a lot differently today than it was in 2001 when it was being filmed. Hence why I sort of we, we talked to her about her, like, you know, did they offer you help kind of things like that. But what's your reaction when you then see that? Because, again, great television, but you're kind of 
there having to deal with this young girl's breakdown and she's literally seriously thinking about killing someone. I mean, that is that difficult to watch when you see that? Well, then my way of handling it was to shut it down. I don't know whether that's psychologically, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it was escalating. And I was, I, you know, I, I did care about, I do care about Katie. I mean, I haven't seen her for 19 years, but um, something had to be done because it was, it was, it's just spinning her wheels. It was going nowhere. It was upsetting Rob. It was, she was getting more and more wound up. Um, the only thing I could do, which was to say, look, Katie, you know, this needs to, this needs to stop. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shift. I've, I've, I've got a position in the sand and that's where I stand. Full stop, end of story. When you recently watched it, obviously, in the, in the lead up to this interview, um, was there any moments around that whole situation with Katie that you remember that weren't shown? I mean, clearly that whole final episode kind of was very much centred around her breakdown, kind of in three main parts there. But what, were there any other moments you can remember that weren't shown that happened? No, I can't really. It was it was a very um, it was very full on. I, I honestly I can't. I, it was interesting actually reviewing the whole scenario because somehow I must have pushed it right out of my mind because it it, it was confronting again, and this time with the distance, I was able to be even more concerned for Katie. And it was good for me to see um, where she talks in the um, final tribal. Um, catch up with um, Eddie and the, you know, our families and everything, saying that she had got some help. I think it's that's where she said that anyway. But she did, she did get some help, and I think that was a really uh, important and, and um, smart thing for her to do because it, it probably verged on, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm not a doctor, and I'm so take that with six handfuls of salt. But it, 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 she, you know, she was. She felt betrayed. She was very let down, and and um, yeah, I, I don't remember anything else. It, it was a, it was a a difficult time. I was concerned for her, and I was concerned for Rob, and I was probably listen. By the way, you know, I was also pretty tired and hadn't been eating, and so there's not as if I'm I'm an expert in this area or that I was you know breezing through it. I was actually being impacted by it as well. So for my own preservation, I had to stop it. Um, that's one thing that was definitely evident. It looked like those last couple of days that no one had anything left in the tank. Like it, it looked like it had been a grueling, you know, well for you 39 days, um, you know, for Katie 37, but, uh, you know, it, it, it did it. it. You could, I think the viewers got a good insight to say how hard this game was for you guys back then. Yeah. Well, I think Sean, um, said that, the Australian survivor, he, he, it was his view that the Australian survivor was the toughest in the world um, at the time. Um, we had less food. We had, you know, more demanding con- conditions. And just coming back to something else that maybe you've triggered, Ben, is when did the um, – there was the other thing that was going on at the same time. You might – you'll have to sort of remind me now, but there was the issue of um, – uh, Stephen Peters sending a message down to us saying, oh, uh, guess what? Uh, we're going to change the end of the game. 
So that was playing out at the same time. Is that right? I mean, yeah, it was around the final four. It was Sophie had gone, and then look, I I don't know the specific moment whether it happened the morning after Katie's first breakdown. I don't know the exact moment, and obviously we're going to ask you about that. But um, it was it was at the final four. Sophie had gone, so it was around there somewhere, and Katie was still in the game. Katie was still in the game. That's right. So that was again. That was another issue to deal with from left field. Rob and I are going along believing that we're going to be playing the game in accordance with the, you know, um, all the other survivors that have been held up to that point. And then suddenly there's a message comes down to say, oh, well, we uh, I don't know whether it was a, proposed as a fait accompli, whether they said, well, we're going to change the, the end of the game or we're thinking about changing the end of the game. But, again, um, with all of us being in a fairly fragile mental state, um, Rob and I just completely and utterly spat the dummy. And so that was that was playing out at, a, at the same time as well. So that just added to the whole um, <laughs> uh, the whole challenging situation. Which what, what was it about that that made you mad? Was it a simple case it was a last-minute change that here they are presenting this to you, this isn't what you signed up for, as you said, it's kind of not what the other ones were doing? Was there something more to it because you thought if it was a final three and Katie's there with you two, it's going to change it up? I mean, what was it specifically that made you and Rob so mad about it? Oh, we were furious because at the 11th hour and 59th minute, this missive from up, you know, up high comes down and says, Guys, we're going to change the the way we play out the end of the game. Um, it, it 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 just threw both of us. Um, if, if we didn't think, well, I'm I better speak for myself. But it it wasn't it wasn't. I didn't think it was in the spirit of the game in a way because um, it, yeah, I was going to say it wasn't fair. But then there's you could argue there's nothing that's really fair in um, the game of Survivor. It it had the it, it the effect it had on both Rob and I was to go you know what no way we we haven't come out here and gone through the the starvation and the the stress and the you know the physical exertion and the mind games and all of that sort of stuff to be told at this point in the game that it's going to change so we both spat the dummy and said no that's it um, not on um, we're not going to we're not going to play that. Way. So, um, and that that caused, as I said, a, a fair bit extra stress that neither of us needed. So, what did what did you do? Did you so you threatened to just walk off then and there? Do you threaten to just both leave the game? I mean, what was your threat? I guess to Stephen Peters and the crew. Uh, yeah, the, th- the threat was that we weren't go- we wouldn't go to tribal council. We would go. We wouldn't. We we're going to take our our uh, football and go home. We we wouldn't go to tribal council. So. Um, and I don't, I don't, I remember thinking that at the time I didn't like the way it was done. So it's not only that they were proposing this fairly major change, but I didn't like the way it was done. You know, in negotiation, there was, there, it seemed to me there was no negotiation, and um, there was there was no upside for Rob and I that I could see um, to be sort of given an ultimatum. Um, we were we were not impressed and. And when you think about it, um, I think we were in a pretty good position because what was um, Stephen Peters going to do? Um, was he going to ring Kerry Packer and say, "Oh, guess what, Kerry? Uh, we've um, we've got this great idea. We've decided to 
end the game with a twist and um, our two main survivor um, Cardenum people are, said they're not going to come to tribal council, so we're going to give the half a million dollars to Sophie. Mm. I mean, honestly, if you're going to negotiate, then come from a position of strength and look for a win-win. And, you know, um, I don't remember discussing this with Rob, but I, I certainly wasn't going to budge. Which, I mean, this is this is the beauty of the that period of Survivor is that I think that is when producers and the people behind the show realize, fuck, these contestants have a little bit too much power, particularly at this point. We saw it in Borneo. Very similar thing happened in Borneo. They had a reward where essentially uh, all it was going to be was the winner got a beer. And they were like, are are you kidding me? This is like day 36. You're just going to give us a beer? Like, no, we're not competing in this challenge. Screw you. We're going to walk away. So then they realized, "Uh uh-oh, we don't have a show if these people don't finish. So then they made a makeshift bar on set and made it a bigger reward. And, oh, you can come to a bar and eat food and we'll show you the first episode. So kind of it shows that level of power that you guys sort of have. I mean, there's no way you would get away with that now. They would cover all their bases, of course. They're they're well-tuned to the, the means of this show. But... At what point then? So, like, you're you're kind of threatening, not going to tribal council. We're not doing this. Did they eventually kind of did Stephen Peters have to sort of come up and go, right? You win final two, go to tribal council. Is that kind of just how it all ended? Look, I'm 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 really not sure, Ben. It it did resolve itself. We did go to tribal council, and they didn't change the end of the game. So somehow we. We um we got it sorted, but you won. for a while. <laughs> he, he, St- Stephen Peters probably thought he could just bribe you with a couple of cherry ripes, and you would have been sweet with it, Shona. Not not realizing that well, there's only a couple of days left in the game, and you'd be able to get as many cherry ripes as you want. I yeah, that's right. And if I had five hundred thousand dollars, just imagine how many cherry ripes I could buy. <laughs> so, Shoni, you you get to the the final challenge, and. Rob actually wins it, which is that it, it was a funny um, final tribal council actually because uh, um, you you actually don't end up you have to wait was it thirty eight minutes to put your lamp up and yeah. and it gets to the stage where you actually go a lot further than thirty eight minutes and you don't even get to actually put your lamp up, um, but so Rob wins now he gets to pick who goes to the final two with you of course. Um, you, you would have been. I'm sure you thought you're pretty confident that he was going to pick you and 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 not Joel. But what is that feeling like when you get when you know you you know that you were one of the final two members to to go to that final tribal council for a chance to win half a million dollars and maybe more importantly win the game of Survivor. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. Win the game of Survivor. That's that's where I was absolutely. That's what I wanted. I wanted to win the game of Survivor. Um, I had a, you know, I had something that I would have used the $500,000 for that was, you know, I felt passionate about, but I I was there to win. Um, I actually, look, I hope I'm not making this up. I think I actually felt calm because at that point it is out of your hands. You do, you've still got to go to tribal council and you've still got to, um, you know, um, make a case for why you should win. Um, there's nothing more you can do then, really, um, except that final last um, tribal council. 
I felt relieved. I certainly once Rob said, you know, that he was taking me. So was it a surprise? Well, no, it wasn't a surprise, but it was definitely a relief because I you you, you never want to underestimate a good player, and Rob was a very good player. <laughs> he was obviously the best player. Um, so there was relief when he said yes. I was going with him, um, and then uh, there was relief. Another bit of relief because there was nothing else that we could do other than to turn up for tribal council and, and sort of speak to the members of the jury. So it was. I felt a, there was actually less pressure in a bizarre sort of way. I, I definitely want to find out about that last day in a moment. Just really quickly backtracking though, just before that challenge. Did, was there a conversation with Joel, like a reiteration of, hey, remember your promise, or kind of did you just leave that in the laps of the God and hope that he would go through with his deal? Uh, no, there was no, uh, not that I recall, there was no other conversation. He, he, he'd given us his word. He, you know, did a high five or he shook, we shook hands. Uh, there was not, nothing, nothing to be gained from it. He... And he just he did it. He obviously ultimately did it. That final day, though, before final tribal, what is that like? I mean, Matt kind of touched it on the the head when he said, you know, it's something that very few people do. I mean, in Australian Survivor, what we've had thirteen people have had that opportunity to make it to the final tribal council. That must be just—is it the most relaxing day that you can have, or is it nerve more nerve wracking because you're thinking about what you're going to say to the jury and this could be a, a life changing decision? I mean, what? Where do you fall on that category of it being relaxing or more nerve-wracking? Um, I th- recall it as being quite relaxing. You know, the, the die's cast. There's no more challenges. You're going to get out of there, you know, within sort of 24 hours. You're going to get a shower and you're going to have some food and you're going to go home. Um, so there was, there's, there's no complacency, but somehow the, the pressure is off. Um, you, you know you're going to tribal council for one last time, and you, sure, you're thinking about what you're going to say to the jury. Yeah, you are, um, but it doesn't. Again, you can only be yourself, and you can only make a pitch that um, is based on how you think they've perceived your game and how you've you want to say to them. Well, look, these are the sorts of things that I did that make me worthy of being the winner. And as someone who was planning and kind of, you know, you did that list of the chess sort of thing before, do, do you kind of go over in your head, okay, well, Katie's going to be pissed off at me, so she might come at me with this, you know, Naomi might say this. Like, can you kind of work that out where you're thinking they might go or how you can appeal to them in a way that would help them eventually vote for you? Yeah, definitely. So um, I felt very confident I would get Katie's vote because she was she – was, way more angry with Rob than she was with me. Um, I didn't think I'd stand a chance in hell of getting Jane's vote because um, her relationship with Katie, I didn't think I would get um, Lance's vote. You do, yeah, you do, you do go through and, um, and think about who might vote for you. Rob had a um, – and, and I'm going to say this, but you, you need to hear – before I do, that Rob was, <laughs> he, he deserved to win, unquestionably. But Rob also had a very compelling reason for needing to win that $500,000. I don't know how much that would have played into it. Um, 
I've often, you know, well, often, I haven't often, uh, often after the show, I remember thinking, I wonder what would have happened if we'd said, you know what, let's take the $500,000 out of the equation. Now, just vote on the, on the survivor you think deserved to win the game. Take the money away um, and make, I'd love to know how that would have played out. And that would be, I mean, I, I would go out on a limb and say that that's how people vote today. The money very rarely plays into modern Survivor as a reason for people to vote for. It, it's barely talked about. Today it is more about that title of Soul Survivor and who played the better game, whereas in your era of Survivor, the money was such a big factor. I think it was in Australian Outback where Amber all but admitted, uh, you know, voting for Colby because of the Harley, like, you know, kind of like that's the reason why because, you know, he was going to buy a Harley Davidson and that's kind of, it's such an interesting dynamic to see how that would have played out today versus when you obviously played the game. Well, I haven't done the maths, but it'd be interesting to know what $500,000 in 2000 or 2001, what the value of that would be in today's currency, because, or not currency, same currency, but in, in today's um, numbers because, um, and that's what I was saying earlier, right at the beginning, I think that one of the things that I should do is look at um, increasing the prize money. Um, mm. I'd do it for nothing, and I think everybody else would put their hand up and say I'd do it for nothing, but if you want to, you know, bring it up to a modern era, well, it should be commensurate with what it was then, in my opinion. And you guys thought you were playing for a million dollars, didn't you? Because, I mean, at that time it was a million dollars, of course, on, on US. So, and was it, I did I read or did I, I don't know if I'm making this up, but was there something in an initial contract that kind of implied it was going to be a million dollars and they changed that at the last minute? I don't know. I, I, I can't remember about the contract, um, but I had a call. I think it was a second call. It was a second call from Channel 9 saying, Oh, and by, so they offered us, Stephen Peters will be able to correct this if, if I'm wrong here, but it was either done in the same phone call or, it was, or two phone calls. I think it was done in two phone calls. So one phone call was, yep, you're, you're in, do you want, you want to take the place? And I think there was a second phone call that said, oh, and by the way, um, the prize money's $500,000, Australian dollars, because it's tax it's not taxed, whereas in the US the million dollars is taxed and you yep. end up with 500000 But, again, like as I say, at that point the money was totally irrelevant as far as I was concerned. I, I wanted to be in the game. I, I literally would have done it for, for nothing and I wouldn't be the only person who would who would say that or, or be prepared to, you know, do that. And, I like again, I think that's everyone. I mean, Matt, I, I, I'm speaking for yourself. I'm speaking for myself that, I mean, if I was going Survivor and I was to win, I mean, bloody hell, $500,000 would be nice. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say no. But to me, I would be more honoured that I won Survivor. That would be, and Matt, I'm sure you'd be the same. If, if when I got on the show, if they would have rung me and said, look, you're on the show, but we're doing this new twist where there is no money, um, of course I would have been disappointed, but... I still would have said yes, of course. I still would have done it. And that's yeah, one thing too, which Shona, like I was going to ask this, but I might as well just this now. Um, because as runner-up in US, you get they get $100,000. You didn't get like a, there was no second place prize, was there, outside of what your fee was for appearing on the show, was there? Uh, yeah, there was, there was. Um, now, how much was it? It was, again, you'd have to check with Channel 9 or Stephen, but I think, I think it was twenty five thousand right. dollars for second place. 
Which is still a big disparity. It's not 100,000 like they get in the US. Oh, no, no, no. No, we, we, no, it wasn't wasn't anything like that. It was, I think it was $20,000 or $25,000. And plus a lot of bags of Lay's chips. Uh, (laughs) And solos. Solos. We thank you, our good friend, the solo. Shona, the, the, one of the one of the things I've been so excited to talk to you about, and and having you on this this podcast, you know, with winners, we 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 often obviously at the end when when the winner wins, we see how happy they are. Um, you hear about them later on. You know, it's great they've won the money. That they're, they're always going to be remembered as that sole survivor of that season. But you often don't hear much about the person who came second. Like they they just end up well, they didn't win, but. You got so close. Like I, I would love to hear it as a, as a fan of this show, as a, as someone that was lucky enough to play this game. What is it like getting to the end, getting so close, and then hearing someone else's name get called out to be the winner? Like, obviously, yes, you're happy for Rob. I've got no doubt about that. But, but what is that feeling like? Try to explain it to me. I'd love to hear it. Oh, look, at the time, I see. I was still very much. I um, still very much in touch with Rob and very much, you know, I'd, I'd been to his home. Dusty, I'd met Dusty, I'd met um, Gabe. Um, I genuinely wanted only the best for the family. Um, I, 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 now we're talking about this, it's, it's years come or, or comes rushing back. I, I do. I, I do remember thinking, I wonder what would happen if the money wasn't on the table, Where, how people would have voted. Probably, they, look, they very likely would have voted the same. I don't know, but because um, I I don't know. But and I'll never know. Um, I, I'm very, very um, grateful for the opportunity. I, I loved being there at the end with Rob. Um, number two, not... What I probably would choose if I, <laughs> if I had any, but but that's okay. Number two was number two was okay, but I'd love to be number one. That's yeah. no, that never goes away, really, does it? I mean, um, that that never goes away. That what if I did this or that? You just play the best game you can. Um, I'm sure Katie would have turned this over in her mind many times, and maybe Sophie as well. Joel didn't, I don't think, because he made a different decision. But you do, you do think about, well, what if this or what if I'd spoken up a bit earlier or what if I'd gone with Craig or – but that, that doesn't lead you anywhere. It's it's a, it's a mental gymnastics. It's it's I think it's part of the process of getting over um, something like this. But it, it is just a – it's just a mental sort of – well, I've often said that the two hardest positions to come in Survivor is one being the first boot because no one wants to be the first boot, and that happened to be me, unfortunately. But I've also said the other hardest one is coming second because you're you're closer than anyone else, but you don't win. So there, to me, are the two, I guess the two positions you don't want to come is being first out or being second. But, you know, like I don't... I honestly think you played a fantastic game, Shona. And and to be honest, like I don't think you could have done anything more um, than what you did to, to in that game. Like I think you played a, a very solid game, 
a fantastic game. Um, maybe you know, maybe if you didn't go up against Rob, if you if you went up against someone like Joel, um, possibly. But in the end, you didn't win the last immunity challenge anyway, so you didn't get the pick. But but um, would I guess five hundred thousand would change everyone's life? But do you think if you had one? Would you still be where you are today? Would 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 anything have changed in your life if, if winning that half a million? Look, uh, not really, Matt. Because when I came back from Australian Survivor, um, I actually went up to the Kimberley, and I was fortunate enough to work with um, the community to Horse Creek through um, Wunan Foundation, and so I was partly. Um, fulfilling all of that stuff that I, I – it wasn't as structured, but um, I worked with Wanan Foundation and um, the West Australian Government with a, on a project called the Better Life Project, and it was working with um, local Aboriginal, Aboriginal communities within Halls Creek and, and the, the broader area there, and that was in, incredibly um, – it, it was challenging, but it was a great um, thing for me to do. Um, I went I went on and um, uh, got a grazing lease up there, and I've and then I from there I went up to um, Kununurra and was the um, East Kimberley manager for Save the Children. So I went. It wasn't a foundation that I set up and that I was you know um, working within, but it was still working with um, in community with young people. Um, and I found that very rewarding. So, yeah, I just went on and did what I – pretty much what I – you know, the area I wanted to move into, um, I followed up on that. Well, that's been one of the fascinating parts of, of me trying to track you down, Shona, is is, is finding out all the things you, you've done after Survivor. It, um, it appears you were, you were a counsellor around about that 2009 period um, from the research I've done. I actually found a photo um, – of you, I, like I said, you have no social media footprint, but I managed to find a, a photo from you from a couple of years ago from uh, uh, Girls from Oz, uh, the website or foundation there that um, that I'd found a photo of you a couple of years ago. You you had a certificate there that there was a photo with you and another lady, but um, you did talk about in your final speech about if you had one, you would have you wanted to set up the Leonardo Foundation. Um, obviously. You know, you didn't win, so I'm guessing that never happened. But uh, it sounds like doing these foundations is something that's very, you know, dear and close to your heart. Uh, working working with young people, um, it, it, yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm doing something completely different now in a diff- completely different space. But um, when we were in Darwin, um, when my father was posted up there, we. We had a lot of um, Aboriginal people in our lives, you know, friends, kids. That, um, and so it was going back up into the – or not going back because I hadn't been there before after it was survival that led me up to the Kimberley and, and um, that was that was very – was challenging because, you know, there are lots of things that need improving but it was also very war- rewarding. So, yeah, I did um, – I don't know what else to say really, but um, that was it. It was something that I, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to give something back. You know, I, look, I've had a really privileged um, life. By an accident of birth, 
Both my parents were, you know, white. They were well-educated. They had jobs. We got to travel all over Australia. Um, I, I had plenty of food, all of those sorts of things. And I think in life, you know, that should be, you know, you should give something back basically. Um, you can do that in small ways. You can do it in big ways. I, I did it, you know, in, in my way. And, um, and I, I, to be honest with you, I got a lot more out of it probably than um, I gave. Not that I didn't give everything I, I could in terms of my expertise and my time and my passion, but um, these things are never a one-way street. One thing I just want to quickly go back into the game for a second, Shona. Um, that waiting period between when you leave the game and then obviously it airs and then you ultimately end up at Crown Casino for the, for the big reveal – what is that like waiting to know if you've won the game? And and do you just constantly go through in your mind? I think you mentioned in the uh, the reunion that you've been doing that kind of working it out and everything like that. And, and did you think you could win? Did you think you were going to win? Um, I thought it would be close. I, I wasn't confident that I would win. I thought that, honestly thought that Rob would win. But I thought I was in with a chance. And you, you, you do the numbers, but um, I, I, I thought it would be close. Were there any votes that you didn't get that you were surprised? And, and I mean, Craig and Katie ultimately vote for you. Um, you mentioned you were kind of sure Katie would vote for you. I'm sure you might have thought Craig would vote for you. Was there anyone really that stood out thinking, oh, shit, they didn't vote for me. That's a bit of a surprise. Um, I thought I might have got Joel's vote. Um, yeah, I thought I might have got Joel's vote. I thought you might have got Sophie's vote. No, I, I wouldn't have been confident about that because Sophie, and uh, you know, is a family. She, she's she's a family. That that's her world. Is a um, children and um, where so that matches with Rob. I, I and and you know, Rob was. You know, he again had a fabulous relationship with Sophie, and they were generally, um, gen genuinely close. No, I, I wasn't. I didn't think I'd get Sophie's vote. One thing, I mean, Matt and I, we, we sort of, we go through the finishing places, and we kind of, we we like to sort of look at each of the finishes from each season and kind of compare them. So you know, we did that a lot with the runners up. Um, you know, I think we, we both agreed that it was a very tricky kind of call between yourself and, and Sean. I don't know how familiar you are with the channel. Tim Monocle Sean has had the distinction of being a two-time runner-up, which I'll ask your opinion on in just a second. But I think your season has the distinction of having the strongest final two. Um, it's probably between yourself, your season, and, and All-Stars. Obviously, the, the vote was a bit more of a blowout on All-Stars, but still you would argue it was, it was a very strong final two. And because, I mean, you know, as Matt and I have, have, are praising you, we're, we're praising you all season, we're praising you now, you know, I think anybody would have been happy with either you or Rob winning that season. Same with All-Stars. I think ultimately everyone would have been happy with either Sean or, or David. All the other seasons, I don't know if you could say that. Um, you know, that's either comes down to the winner, people would have preferred the runner-up winning, or had the runner-up won, they wouldn't have been that happy, which kind of, I guess, adds to the legacy of, of your season. I mean, none of this matters in the grand scheme of things, Shona, because ultimately, again, you, you don't have that title. But does it mean much from us, us as fans of this show, to be able to say that of the runners-up, 
that you are maybe the most esteemed or equal most esteemed runner-up? I mean, can you take any sort of positives from people saying things like that? Oh, yeah, of course you can. Because it, despite all the confidence that, you know, one has, there's still there's still that, you know, you, you can easily drift into um, self-doubt. So, yeah, it, 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 it does. It makes it, 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 if I said it's humbling, I mean, I'm, I mean that. You know, it's you want to, you, you do you, you do everything. You do, you go hard. You desperately want to get that, that win um, because it's such a unique game and it, and there are people who are passionate about it, and as you say, fans who are passionate about it. Did I want to win? Oh my goodness, did I ever! Um, so to come second, I, I don't think there's anything too shabby about that <laughs> um, at all. And and you were referring to one of the other Survivor series where um, Sean was who yeah. came. Yeah, thanks. Runner up twice. Oh. Um, yeah. I, Could you imagine that? Could you, I mean, you, you've, you've experienced it once, but, I mean, to do that twice, I mean, no one in US Survivor, I think, I know there's been, you know, multiple players who have made it to the final tribal council on multiple occasions, but I'm pretty sure no one's actually finished in second spot twice off the top of my head. So, Shan, I mean, and she played obviously a lot longer in terms of days because they play for 50-odd days, whereas you play for 39. But could you imagine going back out there again and being second again? Ben, you realise that, you know, all this talk we had earlier about whether there's ever going to be a, a, an Australian versus American survivor. <laughs> Would I do it again and come second again? Oh, oh dear. Um, I, I think, again, look, the fact that she got to number two, again, you've got to be, you've got to be impressed with that, to do it twice um, because you've, all, you've also got a target on your back. Um you know, if you've got that far in the game and you're doing it for a second time, guess what? You'd, they'd be um, aiming to get you out as quickly as possible, wouldn't they? Yeah, and, and, and the thing with Sean too is that her second time around that she lost, I mean, you know, Matt and I kind of go about that the two greatest Australian Survivor players of all time are either going to be Rob or, or David. And, I mean, I, you know, sort of, you know, we've discussed being on the fence and all that kind of thing. But you look at Sean, she lost to David, you lost to Rob. So you two are the two that lost to, in our opinion, the two greatest players who ever play this game. So, I mean, that that's kind of like in, in any sporting analogy. Like, you know, if you, if you go up into a heavyweight fight and, you know, you're losing to Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali or, you know, you're, you're, you're sprinting against a sane bolt, you know, would you rather come second to a sane bolt or... Whoever wins gold in in Tokyo 2020, who isn't the same bolt, not to take away from their achievements, but you're gonna want to maybe lose to one of the all-time greats rather than somebody who maybe people won't remember in 50 years' time. Oh Ben, you just want to win, mate. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 sure, you, you take away the fact that you, you came second in a very unique, one, amazing game, but in my heart of hearts. <laughs> Oh, you just want to win. You um, want to win. There's, yeah. You want to win, you know, in the best sense of that, you know. Um, yeah. Could have been worse. It, it you could have, have lost to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it, it must have been an unbelievable feeling, though, that uh, here you are, like your mother was uh, the original fan of this show. If, if it wasn't for her, you would never have even been on Australian Survivor because you wouldn't have even probably known about it. 
So then to sit back and be able to watch, what, 13, 14 episodes of Australian Survivor with you on it, with your mother, I mean, that money can't buy that. No, it can't. And, I look, my family watched with me. I didn't um, tell them. I, I did I did say to them, I did tell mum I was in the final two because when I got home she was so shocked by my body weight that um, she wanted to rush me off to the doctor. And we just sort of sat down and I said, now, look, Mum, you know, this is where it's at and this is where I got and don't be worried. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I watched it with my family and um, I was going to say that um, one of the gifts that you guys have given me in bringing, this, bringing me to this podcast and um, providing the footage for me to, to, to look at it 19 years down the track because it's not available on YouTube. When If you try and Google it, it just says not available in country. And my mother passed away um, a, a month ago. And when I replayed the – when I played the Survivor stuff, I, I felt it was, you know, it was, it was sort of a lovely connection and particularly in the challenge when we got to speak on the phone to our families. And so – I, oh God, it was just such a gift. You know, I, I, could, I was talking to Mum. I, I've got a record of her voice, and um, <laughs> maybe that's the best prize. Forget about winning Survivor itself. Maybe that's the best prize anybody could have. Five hundred thousand dollars doesn't even come close to be able to now having you know, um, you know, just to be able to hear Mum's voice and to reconnect with the the love and the passion she that she had for that game. Um, I kind of bow at your feet, gentlemen. Thank you for, you know, thank you for what you've given me. I tell you, it's it's priceless. It's, it's nothing like it you've is. given us, though, Shona, in terms of just the, the amazing content we have. But, you know, we're, we're so glad that you've been able to, uh, I guess, reconnect with that, that, that moment because it, it is something that I think when you share – something and particularly say like with your mum who sort of was more of a survivor fan you know to kind of to have that and I mean I can imagine she must have been over the moon when you say hey guess what I'm in the final two don't worry about me looking sick mum I might I might have won this bloody game get excited <laughs> no she was she was great she loved coming to Melbourne um she was very very proud of me um which is all you want, really, isn't it, from your parents and what parents want from their kids? You know, have you done them proud? Have you have you lived a, a life that's you know um, worthwhile? You should have should have seen Matt's bloody parents. They did they disowned him. He got off that plane. Went, First out, <laughs> you're not coming to Christmas. Shame on the Dyson name. They did not. <laughs> you know, Matt, don't, don't listen to him, Matt. You, I tell you what, next Survivor, you put your hand up. You, yeah. You, he got on, I didn't, Shona. I'm just jealous. <laughs> He's, he is jealous. But, Shona, look, I, I can completely relate. So I used to watch, like, every episode with my mother. Like, I grew up with my mother. Your season, when it went to air, she would sit down with me and watch every single episode. So when I got picked to go on the show myself, like, my biggest fan was my mother. You know, yeah. when I got voted out and was still in Fiji in the hotel and was obviously bitterly disappointed – the only time I ever got emotional about actually being voted out of that show was when I rang my mother and, and told her, Mum, I'm, I'm out of the show. So because they're your biggest fan. You know, at the end of the day, 
they're your biggest fan. And you know that no matter where you come, that they're just so happy that you got to live this experience, whether it be two days in, in, in my experience or 39 days in yours. You know that no matter what, they just are so happy that you got on and got to do something, you know, very special. Yep, absolutely. Right on the, I'm going to say right on the money, but um, <laughs> yes, 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 and yes. I got to say, my parents are just ashamed that I'm not on the bloody show. So what? What can I say? <laughs> Shona, you, you touched. Uh, sorry, Ben. I was just going to cut. I was just going to cut in. Sorry, Ben. I was just going to cut in. You, you mentioned about having having um, you know your mother down at Melbourne for that finale. You seem to have a pretty big tribe there. You had, you, I think, you, one of your brothers was there. You, I think your business partner, a partner, Peter Snow. You mentioned. Um, there was a yeah, that must have been a great experience too, just to have all these people come down and and, and watch you. Yeah, my brother and sister all flew in from the states yeah. to be there. And the other thing that is now causing me huge embarrassment, I probably picked it up at the time as well. But um, well, I didn't look at the oh yes, I did of course with my family. But Alan Burtonshaw, who was the guy who was the marketing guy, I just skipped you know past him. I can't believe I didn't. You know the very guy <laughs> got, got you on the show. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm playing all this, you know, my sister and her husband and Neil and my, my brother and what have you and Peter Snow and then I, I, I seemed to skip Alan for someone else and I thought to myself, you know, over the weekend, oh, how could I have done that? But anyway, it, can did, I, it didn't ruin the relationship. Can I ask, did uh, Channel 9 fork out for the tickets for your brother to come over from the States? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Those cheap they, bastards. No, no, no. They, they, they forked out for um, certainly me. I think my mother came over as well. They might have been, look, that's a good question, Ben. Uh, they were actually very generous. Really, they were. We were put up at a hotel and everything was, they were very generous. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm not, I, I actually, be, I have to say, Shona, sorry to interrupt, but like I, of all the networks in Australia, I've, I've always been a bit of a Channel 9 fanboy. I don't know if I've ever admitted this on the show. And I'm, and I'm in no way am I sucking up because believe me, when we get to season two, I'm not going to be kind about Channel 7. You think I've been negative about Channel 10, people who are long-term listeners of this show. I ain't no Channel 7 fan, so it's going to be interesting when we get to that. But um, it's the what we loved, actually. Matt and I had a lot of fun in the finale episode talking about your business partner, Peter Snow. Because uh, we love the fact that you refer to him by, like, his full name. It wasn't just my business partner, Peter. It was Peter Snow. Like, tell, tell us about Peter, Shona. I want to know about him. Like, well, who is he? Is he still with us? Like, kind of, is he still, are you still in business yeah. with him? He's still with us. Peter's, um, Peter's an amazing man. Um after, uh, yeah, so I, um, well, let me just think of the timing for this. Um, after Survivor, um, before, well, before, let's go back to before Survivor, I was um, working with um, two business partners. Um, Peter Snow, a great man, um, was very involved with Rotary, and um, it, it's in the venture capital area. So uh, um, there were, Two different companies, and what we were doing was um, assessing uh, startup technologies and um, either you know investing or you know finding an investor group that was interested in um, supporting startups. And but Pete, I, I learned a lot from Pete, a huge amount in terms of negotiation, all that stuff I've just been talking about, how to negotiate, how to do a pitch. Um, oh, yeah, he's retired now, but um, he's he's definitely still around. Great. 
I'm glad. Say hello to him for us because we we enjoyed sort of. Thank you. Um, the, you mentioned before about kind of. I was sending this um uh you know link to the podcast because um. Please do. We 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 are a fan uh, of yours, Peter. If you're listening, we are a fan of yours. Thank you very much <laughs> for being in the audience with Shona. You, you mentioned earlier about. Go, go, please, go ahead. I want to hear more. I was just going to say, and it was really through the grace of um, Peter and, and Bruce, the other um, yeah, other um, partner, that, I mean, those guys had to sign Channel 9's um, two-inch thick non-disclosure agreement because <laughs> I, I could hardly say I'm going to go away for, you know, however many weeks, um, six weeks, and, and I, I can't tell you where I'm going and what I'm doing and what have you. So, so those guys... Um, released me, if you like, from the work that I was doing at the time and uh, very, very supportive. Both we appreciate of them. it, both of them. Thank you. You mentioned earlier about sort of, you know, getting recognised a few times in the supermarket, things like that. Do, do you remember any particular fun fan moments, you know, when it was airing or, or afterwards, anything like that? Oh, Ben, I was ducking for cover, really. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. Um, <laughs> I don't. I didn't. You know, did I contemplate? You know, a blonde wig, wig and a moustache. Yeah, from time to time, I did. <laughs> it looks like you did a. Did you do a bit of a public speaking uh, stint there for a while after the show? Because uh, one of the things when I was trying to search for you, um, it did come up that uh, that you. Yeah, it was obviously probably a, a long time ago now, but you were available that. Uh, you may have an an agent or something where you could do public speaking, and I actually looked into it, and uh, you've obviously done some because people had left comments. This was, you know, obviously fifteen years ago, but saying that it, you know you were amazing, hearing your life story, hearing about Survivor. So, did you do a bit of a public speaking sort of period after the show? Yeah, I, I well, yes, I did. Um, it wasn't an agent as such. It was a you know a, a speaking. Well, I suppose always splitting hairs. It was a. Um, I was approached, you know, to be a, um, a speaker for corporations and, you know, schools and all of that sort of stuff. And, yeah, I did. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, it was great to be able to share that experience and, um, you know, looking in terms of, well, how does this relate to business or how does this relate to, you know, what you're going to do in school and where you're going to go from here when you when you eventually leave school. Which I can imagine to name recognition because I mean Shona is a is a very unique name that you know it's not that common so I guess kind of a lot of that they might not recognise you at first but they hear the name Shona and straight away like boom because I mean literally any Australian Survivor fan they hear your name they know exactly who you're talking about not just for your name I mean you're an amazing person as well but I mean it's a it's a very unique name. Uh, yeah. What is, where what is the origin of of the name Shona? Where where does that originate from? Well, it's Irish, so the spelling is S-C-I-O-N-A, but the Scottish spell it phonetically, S-H-O-N-A. Right. And um, uh, it means my darling. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. There you go. And it's actually going for, for Jess or Jessica, which my parents didn't know at the time when they gave me that name, but there you go. You know, it's a really interesting, Matt. We, we talk about kind of Shona and Shan kind of the shirt and then on your season of course we had the the shan the the shawnee the shane there's something about this shirt name in australian survivor that kind of is unique everyone seems to love the shirt name people so here it is if there's a, a i don't know a, a chanella I, I what other names are there that i'm not thinking of out there with the shirt sound 
I don't know, but all I'm thinking about is how good would it have been to see Shona Brown and Shane Gould team up in All Stars? Oh, that's what I. That's wow. how good would that have been? That would have been amazing. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I don't know if you watched that season at all, Shona, and saw Shane. But um, you know, Shane, Sean, Shani, Shona. That would have been a four way that I would have loved to seen. Very confusing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I didn't. I, uh, I saw, saw some of it, but yeah, she was. She was great. Yeah. And it just goes to show you, doesn't it, that, you know, that there's the there's the really out there, in-your-face kind of um, game plan or, or game um, strategy, and then there's the sort of behind-the-scenes, the sort of more low-key um, step back. Uh, but still there have been a number of people, haven't there, that have um, – Shane was one of them, I think um, – it was it Christy. Christy yep. was yeah, another won, one. She won the first Channel Ten season. Yep. Yeah. So um, just being um, buffed and bullish and you know uh, good at uh, challenges doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to end up the sole survivor. It's that, that there's a more subtle game that you can play that's um, you know will get you to the end and to the sole survivor title as well. Did you stay up to date with Survivor afterwards? Did you kind of you you maybe watch more of the US one with your mum? Then when they had the Channel Seven Celebrity one, kind of check that out. Did you sort of follow it after your time on the show? Um, no, I went. Um, I went sailing. Um, I went and sailed on a yacht from Darwin to to the Med. Um, so I. Completely, um, 2002. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I went on a, on a on a yacht um, and sailed with some a, a great mate of mine, um, and off we went. It was wonderful because I was then away from all of that stuff, um, the, the bright lights, so to speak. And but there was another adventure with with that because we were. Um, moored in um, the bay at Peepidon when the tsunami went through in 2004. Oh, wow. So that's another adventure that I wasn't expecting. That would yeah, have so. uh, been quite a, 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 an amazing, well, amazing is not probably not the right, the right word, a harrowing experience, no doubt, to a kind of experience that. Yes. Um, it, it was it, it was. Um, was real life survivor that one? Yeah, for sure. Another story for another time. Again, going back to my point at the beginning of this uh, this interview, Shona, that there's so many stories we can we can get you on. A, you know, different podcasts to talk about this. When when you sort of caught up and watched some of the Channel Ten one, I mean, wh- what is your take on kind of watching a, an Australian version that's done in a different way? And, and, and I mean, do you do you like it? Do you like kind of how Australian Survivor is now from what you, you have seen or do you prefer kind of how, how your season was? I, I, I definitely prefer our season because, as I said, um, uh, it, it's uncomfortable. I, I found it uncomfortable when um, there was a fair bit of sort of um, in the in the confessions where people were sort of really – over the top with their um, assessments of their own performance and who they were going to, you know, who they were going to vote out and all of that sort of stuff. It, um, and I also felt un- very uncomfortable with the amount of food that they had. <laughs> um, 
I wondered, you know, I wonder whether they had access to a laundry and showers. You know, they seemed very, very clean at um, tribal council. I said to my mother, God, look at that. They've got new runners on. That can't be right, surely. Um, they just look too clean. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to get back to a bit more of the, you know, the really sort of <laughs> a school of hard knocks, I suppose. Um, get Sean over there and sort them out. Or, you know, Channel Ten on me. Um, uh, I, I, look, I, I've got lots of ideas. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have some input on, and, or at least throw some ideas around with somebody. Um, I'd like to see. Uh, so it seems to me the modern form of the game is that they're all of those really, really tough physical um, games are right up front, whereas if you look at our game, it was spread out right across the um, uh, the time that we were out there. The challenges were were not just all the big physical ones, and that that's I think that's a shame in a way because if you're not if you're not a physically strong player, then perhaps you're disadvantaged with that kind of approach. I'd like to see things that, you know, where you've got to build things more. Um, I'd like to see, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head now, but, you know, you, you, let's let them build it, let us build our own um, bows and arrows, for example. I don't know whether people would find that interesting, but it could be quite funny. Um, but uh, What about yeah. guessing, guessing weights and uh, measuring waters uh, and finding no, heavy no, that, things? <laughs> no, that was, that was the... Um, uh, that was that's not that wasn't a very good challenge, but um, yeah. straight for straight there. See Matt, see I've got somebody who actually took part in that challenge, agreeing that it was a shit challenge. There you go. <laughs> so, Shona, if- you know, yeah, I, I, there are someone that I love. You know the challenge with uh, that um, that Craig won, that where you, that we were asked to pick up a rod and hold it over the top of a fire. Yeah. Yes. That, that was challenge. very clear. You know, you picked up the rod and then you know you just got it over the top of the fire and, and then, um, you know, oh, well, now change hands. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was – there were some good challenges The there. slingshot challenge uh-huh. is one of my favourites, the, the one that Jane actually yeah, won the reward, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a great challenge. Um, you know, you had a good mix there uh, across the board really because there, there were the physical ones where you had to go, um, you know, over ramps and under, you know, t- into tunnels with – get yourself wet and muddy and all those sorts of things, but there was a nice balance. And I think that they could do a bit more of that, frankly. So, Shona, I know we, we joked about it earlier that uh, you got up, Ben, for, for mentioning that you were 70 and the fact that you're you're oh, not Matt, 70 21. yet. Matt, uh, 21. Matt, <laughs> 21. Now, if you had got the call back for All-Stars last year and that they were going to include Channel 9 players... Would you have said yes, and 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 do you think you still would have been able to play the game? Oh, um, if I yes, 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 because um, I'm you know I, I'm fitter, I'm stronger, my endurance um, is better than I was when I was forty nine. I'm sixty eight now. Um, Going on twenty one, but um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very, very fit. You know, um, especially for my age. But I, I, I train. Um, I'm cycling. I wish I'd started cycling a bit earlier in my life, to be honest. But um, I've got a an Olympic cyclist who was. I think she competed in the uh, two thousand and nine Olympics. Who's my personal trainer? I, I, I train twice a week with her. 
Um, I probably do, you know, at least a couple of hundred kilometres a week um, on the road. And then I, I go to the um, a place called the Exercise Institute, which is full-on um, uh, high-intensity interval training. Um, I've got a coach there. So, yeah, I, I, I'd be up for it, definitely. I'm, I, I, as I said, I, I think I'm stronger and fitter than I ever was. Well, I had mentioned on a previous podcast that if that if anyone could play this game at the age you know nearing 70 it would be you and that was without knowing that you would keep yourself so fit and looking at you now Shoni you're right you you look fitter now and you look fit at 49 but you do at the age of 68 it's an absolute credit to you and this is what annoys me I guess this is what makes me so frustrated that that you never even got the call to find out, you never even got the call to say, "Hey, are you up to playing an All Stars?" This, this, because we could have had you back on our screens. We, we could have had one of the all-time greats of this game back playing, you know, at an age which is unique. Because we, let's be honest, Shane Gould was sixty-two when when she won the game in my season, two thousand eighteen. She then came back a year later and played All Stars at sixty-three. But to have a sixty-eight-year-old come out who has proven herself as a great survivor player to be able to have viewers be able to see this lady at 68 still play this game. I think that to me, that's great. Not only great marketing, but it's great for the fans of this game to be able to watch. So it it does make me a little angry that you never even got that call. Well, Matt, where were you when channel nine or channel 10 were looking for me? (laughs) They obviously needed a tech detective on the job. Crack me down. (laughs) Well, that's true. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe they had they just couldn't find you. Maybe you know. Uh, but it is it is disappointing. Like it is, and and I look. I hope that who knows. You never know. I always say you never know what's going to happen in the future, and, and and I really do hope that you do get that call one day and uh, get asked back because um, it, it would be amazing. Like, how old was Rudy when he played? Ben was he seventy three? Seventy three in All Stars. Uh, seventy in Borneo. So um, yes, I mean Rudy was incredible uh, on so many levels. And but having said that, Shona, you're a hundred times fitter than Rudy was. And Rudy, I mean Rudy was a Navy SEAL, but you could definitely tell age had kind of caught up with him in All Stars. But uh, I mean, I think you'd you'd shit all over how Rudy performed in physical side of things. Oh, that's given me the encouragement not to stop all my training. Um, if I if I ever get the call, I'll and I'm allowed, I'll I'll, I'll let you know. Well, how about this, Shona? If they're not going to call next time they they do applications, will you apply? Um, I, I'd just for for an Australian survivor. Do you mean, or do you mean the, the American versus Australian? No, no. So Channel Ten now. So Channel Ten. They're, they're planning. They were planning to do now two seasons a year, but unfortunately, COVID uh, postponed their, their latest one. But next time Channel Ten open up for contestants, there's not going to be too many 68 year olds applying for Survivor, and there's certainly not going to be an ex player like yourself that's played the game before. Whether they allow it or not, who knows? But but if when they open uh, their applications next, I'm going to send you the link. Will you apply? Uh, oh gosh! Now you put me on the spot. I, I, I doubt it. I, I don't know. I, I doubt it because I, I. But there's. Is it just a rumor, or is it? Are they thinking about an Australian versus US survival? I mean, not we can, that can't be happening in the foreseeable future because of COVID. But 
Is that something that's really real it's, or is it just I, something that's part of a rumour? Nothing official. I think it's just it's definitely something that sort of whispers amongst the, the fan community and something that they might do. I mean, Russell Hance, a US player, played on Matt's season, so there's kind of that scope where the Australian version has invited Americans to play. So it, it would definitely be done on the Australian version. The, the American version, there's no way I see them doing it. It would more be the Australian. But, like, uh, in, in all seriousness... I would give it a very high likelihood of it happening one day. So. The, the, the problem will be, though, if they're going to do that, they're going to want Channel 10 players. That's why I think yeah. you need to... Because CBS to, own yeah. Channel 10 now, so... Yeah. So, you know, that's why I think, you know, I I would love to see you apply for a Channel 10. And, and you know, if that means uh, you've just got to play a normal stock standard Australian Survivor again, um, I, I think, yeah, you'd be an absolute asset to the to the show. Well, I'd probably be have to beat off Katie and Craig by the sounds of things. <laughs> oh, I think Craig will be applying, that's for sure. The one thing I have to say, though, is that I, I really think that, like, like I agree with Matt, I think it would be fantastic to see you apply, but I actually think it's kind of insulting to say that you have to apply. Well, you shouldn't have to apply. You should be being invited. It's, it's, it's oh, ridiculous oh. to me to think that you should have to apply to this show again when this is freaking Shona Brown. You should be invited. Oh, and I only ca- called you a young warrior. What else can I think of that takes it up a step or Don't give him a big head, Shona. I've got to do a podcast with this guy every week. Don't give him a big Sh- head. Shona, I've already mentally thought to myself that my, my next life goal is at the reunion next year. Uh, I want to play you in, in tiddlywinks. That's my next life goal. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Gosh, Actually, get we haven't spoken about that. It, was, was that your favourite game at the time, Shona? No, no, no. It's about the most innocuous game I can think of. But but you know what? There, it, um, there is an there is an international competition for tiddlywinks. Oh, um, really? It was a game as a kid. You know, you, you they're these little plastic markers, and you flick them and try and get them into a cup. That's about you know of what meaning. Well, we're bringing yeah, it to Whaler's Way in 2021. Oh, yeah. it, 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 All right, I'll get practising. It's coming out. Shona, you, you mentioned a little bit before about kind of, um, you know, you went to Rob's house, sort of obviously stayed in touch with Rob for a little bit after the game. Did you stay in touch with many, many people after the game besides Rob? No. No. I didn't. Well, you mentioned Craig. Uh, his, like he, oh, You invited sorry, him yes. to your 50th, so obviously there was a bit of a connection with Craig for a while there. Yeah, sorry, I was I was thinking of Tapara. Um, oh, you know, Craig, Craig and I um, haven't been in touch, but I think that's just life gets in the way. Um, he, uh, we talked earlier. Um, I had my fiftieth birthday after I after the show um, in, um, and I invited Craig to come. Um, you know, as, as a friend, it was it was lovely. He had to get um, permission, I think, from Channel Nine to do that. But no, he he came over and we had we had a um, we had a survivor um, weekend at um, my sister and brother-in-law's farm. So uh, I d- did a mud map and sent them all out to my family and friends, and they had to find their way up to up to the farm. And um, some of them camped out. Some of them, um, well, a lot of them camped out. Really, most most of them camped out. Some people went back into. TJ's a small town, um, sort of northwest, about an hour and a half drive out of Perth, and some people, a couple of people, stayed in town. I think at the pub 
But it was fantastic, um, and my sister and brother-in-law really got into it because there were challenges all over. The, they clear the paddock. They put in um, all sorts of challenges, and um, then we had a massive big barbecue and a great night. It was fantastic. Best, best birthday I've ever had. Well, Craig actually, like, he's, he's found all his memorabilia. He, he sent us a picture, actually, of the invitation. that He's, he's still got it, so, um, you know, oh. kept kept onto it after all these years yeah i mean with rob i mean how how long did you sort of stay in touch with rob did you guys sort of um chat for for a fair few years after the game no uh, no we didn't um we didn't really but uh, that doesn't change anything for me and i would be pretty certain it 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 wouldn't have changed anything for him um i'm not a very good uh you know keeping in touch kind of kind of person really as Matt can attest, uh, you know, I, 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 make, I make very, very close, very strong friendships but, and, and, and I take up with whoever it is immediately, um, but I'm not much good at keeping in regular touch with people. Do, does that kind of, do you look back on that and, you know, with a bit of sadness with Rob? Because, I mean, obviously you guys had such a close bond out there. I mean, different circumstances, you kind of forced into that situation but on the flip side of that i i know from the u.s contestants that lifelong friendships are made from survival where you do get to know each other so does part of you kind of wish that maybe you guys did sort of communicate a little bit more after the bond you made in whaler's way um interesting question look i was i didn't know about um the situation with rob until some time after it all happened um i was out in um, the central desert, walking what's called the Lara Pinta Trail. Um, it wasn't. It was pretty crude in those days. It was hadn't long been um, set up, uh, so there was no mobile connectivity. Um, it was Peter Snow actually who sent me an email, um, and I was, oh, I was gutted. I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I was, I was shocked. I mean, literally, medically shocked. Um, yeah. So, and, and it, yeah. And my next immediate concern was Dusty, but I know that Rob's family was so close. Yeah. So it wasn't even until I think after his funeral that um, I even knew about it. But it was it was gut wrenchingly painful. Did you reach out to, to Dusty when you found out to kind of touch base? No, I, I didn't. I didn't have – no, I didn't. Um, I didn't. But um, if um, Rob's family listens to this, Dusty, if you're listening to this, he um, was such an amazing man. Um, I loved him to bits and pieces, everything about him. You know, there wasn't there was nothing about Rob that, that you couldn't love, really. Um, it, you know, the brother thing was, um, you know, that was that ended up being truer than true, really. And the other funny little part of it really was that I knew nothing about. Well, my father was an avid football um, follower, but he w- he was the only one in the family, and it was in the days where it was just really um, Eastern States football. And when we got back. Um, I met, as I said, Dustin Gabriel and, and the Hawthorne Football Club invited my family and Rob to a game and we went up into the president's suite and all of this sort of thing and I I converted, if you like, from a, thinking that footy was just a matter of, you know, a few blokes in a paddock kicking between a couple of sticks 
And Jeff Kennett said to me, no, they're not sticks, they're, they're gold, the gold gold." Points. And I, 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 I'm a Hawthorne tragic. Oh, Shona, Shona, don't it. hurt me. Don't, don't. No, I, I like you. I, don't tell me that. <laughs> I, um, um, my partner and I went across for um, the grand final. A year they bit what the um, the um, buns off um, the Eagles and uh, all my well, not all my family. Yeah, a lot, a lot of my family are Eagles supporters. Um, that on on my um, brother-in-law's side. No, so you know um, there are lots of things about this. And again, you, you're reminding me, of course, that you know. If, I, if I'm watching a football game, you know, there's that connection with with um, my past and Robin. So, um, uh, Dusty, um, what a what a man! I, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but my my sort of sympathies, and I hope we, life is going well, as well as can be expected. And uh, maybe we'll we'll bump into one another one day. But um, all my my love and best wishes to you and and to Rob's family. Well, we're going to sort of talk a little bit about it at the end here when Matt and I wrap it up, but our, our next episode is actually uh, we're, we're speaking with Rob's brother, Pete, kind of a, as a tribute to, to Rob. So um, obviously we'll, we'll pass that message on to Pete. As actually, just quickly on a side note, you're talking about the football there. One of the questions I was going to ask you in, in the official guide, uh, in your questionnaire, the, the question asks you, what would you not do for money? And one of your answers is watch football. So clearly you weren't a football fan before this situation. Uh, because um, my father was, you know, watched the, um, the Victorian. Well, I don't think there were any West Australian um, teams at that stage. I'm going back a long way. But it, you couldn't breathe in the house when Dad was watching the football. Um, so I sort of uh, – I, I didn't have any exposure to it and I didn't um, – uh, yeah, but it, it, talk about as I say, um, we've been to a grand final. We we I'm definitely a Hawthorne girl th- through and through. It's a one part, Shona, that I'll just I'll, I'll forgive you for. You'll have to um, forgive me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with Naomi. I'm a bit of a Carlton fan, so you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, could be worse. Could be Collingwood. Matt has no clue what we're talking about. He's a he's uh, an NRL guy, so uh, you know he's he's looking at us weirdly. Shona, I always like to ask this question to all of our guests um the legacy of your season as we've kind of alluded to a couple of times your season is is sadly sort of forgotten about now by many australian survivor fans and sort of a lot of people don't like to acknowledge it you you are kind of the final voice on this you are the the last contestant at least in chronological order that we're speaking to we might have a surprise in in a in a week or so when it comes to a, a contestant we haven't spoken to yet but what is the legacy? What should the legacy be of your season? Should it get more love? I mean, what do you say to people who like to ignore your season? I mean, kind of all many questions into one box. Talk to me about what the legacy of your season should be. I think the legacy of our season, which was in part its downfall, was the mateship that was expressed out there. You know, from what I can see of even the early times of um, – American Survivor, it, it was pretty cutthroat. You know, it was – but it, it was like we won one challenge and um, what did we get? We got something that uh, – was it an, It was another telephone win, wasn't it? And um, Tapara walked across to Kadena and said, you know what, we've got um, 30 minutes, whatever it was, um, 
and we'd like to share it with you. We, we recognise that you've had a tough time and we'd like to share it with you. I don't think you ever see that on any other survivor anywhere in the world. So um, that mateship that exists between Australians was alive and well. And there were, you know, there were other things that, um, there were other things where we, I'm just tr- sorry, I'm trying to rack through my memory, but that's that's a, uh, the most obvious example of where we went, well, um, these guys are, at the end of the day, it's a game and they're mates and we better go and, you know, do the right thing. So I, I think because maybe because it wasn't so cutthroat, um, it, what you didn't um, attract the same sort of audience, audience as something that was a bit um, more hardcore. Um, I think it was the fact that it was a very tough survivor. Um, did you say you were going to um, interview Sean? We are, yes, Sean, Sean McBride, yeah, yes. I'll I, I, I look forward to listening to that because um, so here's another example. When Katie won the chicken, if you look back on that footage, what they actually said was the, the prize will be or the, the reward will be it was some minestrone soup um, and or a, chi- or a chicken. Now, what you didn't see there was when they delivered that quarter of chicken, um, again, I, I seem to recall that we actually went ballistic, but um, there was a lot of, wait a minute, what, what do you mean this is, where's the, where's the chicken? Oh, no, we just said chicken. We didn't say a chicken. Hmm. So winning a reward, you know, when you see the modern era survivor and you get alcohol and you get um, sweets and tables dripping in food, I just think to myself, how are they doing it tough? Like, yeah, surely you see them lose a bit of weight, but how are, somebody tell me how that's doing it tough, please. Shona, if you would have been the one that won that chicken and or you got to choose out of the minestrone soup or chicken, would you have said, look, I'll take the minestrone soup, but can I change it for a, is it a vish, vishiwa soup? Oh, vishiswa. Vishiswa. Do you know that I'm actually vegetarian and I have been since my early 20s? So one of the things for me that I, I had to psychologically deal with was, was I going to go out there and, and not eat any meat? Um, or was I going to, um, you know, just say, look, this is part of the game, and that's what I ended up doing. But um, if I'd won that, I think I would have been very unpopular if I'd said I'll have the minestrone soup. <laughs> so I probably would have chosen the chicken just to at least keep in with the, the rest of my tribe members. That's very fascinating to hear that. It's something I'm surprised they didn't ever show. I mean, I guess if you kind of, you know, didn't, reveal it because i mean obviously at that point in survivor history australian outback kimmy kappenberg very famous moment you know she was a vegetarian and basically almost cost her tribe a challenge because she refused to eat meat so it's sort of something that was very topical at that point in survivor so it would have been did did you reveal that to the the producers of that or did you kind of keep that hidden and just eat meat oh look i think it was uh i i it may not have been um revealed in the tribe I can't remember, um, Ben, I'm sorry, but um, I definitely had to look at, you know, soul search a bit and go, well, if you're in this game, it's all or nothing. Um, but uh, I think there was, when we first went out there, we caught um, fish and we were eating it raw. I, I don't think, and that's why that, again, that food challenge was so difficult for me. Oh, I, I, 
you know, I hate the smell of fish. Um, uh, um, when my partner, we've got an agreement that, you know, we don't eat fish in the house because I can't bear the smell of it or any meat in the house for that matter. But well, Now I know why you gave your slice of pizza to Craig. It was probably a meat lover's. <laughs> It probably was. It probably was. Was that part lovers. of it, though? Was that legitimately part of it, that you couldn't eat it because you didn't uh, want to eat it because that meat? Uh, oh, I would have picked the meat off it right. and eaten it. I, I certainly wouldn't have eaten the meat. But, um, no, it was. Uh, I, I, there was another agenda operating then. With, Just, um, yeah, with which, I mean, I'm glad he cleared that up about it wasn't, you know, Matt and I were concerned it was going to be a mouldy piece of pizza in Craig's bag. He didn't realise it was there. <laughs> Joel, Joel was the one, um, you know, you've got to love the exuberance of youth and the sort of um, naivety, and I say that in a really positive way, but Joel was always sticking food in his pocket so to have for the next morning or to have, you know, and blow me down, it would, in that environment with all of the dirt and the humidity and the, it went mouldy. So there were a couple of occasions when he went to revisit his, his uh, larder that, put his hand in his pocket and pull out some food. It was inedible. <laughs> I remember we, we love that episode where he's putting the rice in his pockets. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Shona, what, I mean, you've sort of touched on a little bit about what you've been up to since Matt sort of, um, you know, alluded to some of the things that you, you've done in your amazing life, really such an incredible life. But how how are things now? Like kind of what, what's Shona Brown up to in, in 2020? What, what's kind of life like for Shona Brown? Well, I am, um, I'm sort of, I'd say I'm retired, but I'm working with the most incredible um, group of young men who've developed this uh, platform um, using machine learning and artificial intelligence. And the, I mean, I couldn't write an algorithm to save my life, but um, it's completely novel technology. Um, They're here based here in Perth. They're delightful young men, and um, I'm I'm sort of at the moment I'm I'm helping them out with some sort of um, um, commercialisation and um, business development advice. But it's working with these young guys that is so fascinating and so stimulating. The, the, you know, it, it, and that's what's got to happen. I think as you get older, you you just have to keep in touch with younger people and. Um, I bring something different to their to their mix, um, and I'm privileged to work with them. I, I love it, love it. Fantastic. And so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, from a business perspective, that's what I'm doing. Um, I've got a, a, an amazing partner. Um, we've got you know a property um, up in the hills, um, which backs onto a, an A-class reserve. I, I'm very very um, fortunate, uh, really. Um, well, I am very fortunate, but yeah, no, life's good. Um, and as I said, all the all the training, um, I've you know got a great family, um, loving life really. Great. I, I have a feeling you got no plans of uh, slowing down anytime soon. And if you end up, you have your hundredth birthday, and you have another big survivor party, I would love an invitation, Shona. I'd love Matt, to be out there that's, in the swag. That's seventy nine years away. It's too long in the future. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, consider it noted. Yep. But seriously, Shona, I, I mean, it, it really has been an absolute pleasure having you in this show. And, you know, all suck-ups aside to get called the Young Warrior, thanks for that. It's going with me to my grave. But, like, it, it really, 
was the the one interview I think Matt and I both agreed that we were looking forward to the most through this because I, I for one, have always been intrigued to, to to learn more about you, kind of, even through the years when sort of I had been one of these people that sort of forgotten about your season. I mean, your name was always one that I always remembered. I always remembered your game and everything along those lines. And when Matt and I started this project, it sort of if you were to say to us, who who do you want to interview the most, your, your name would have been on a list of a couple of people. So um, it's, it's been an absolute thrill. I can say that you have beaten the record for the longest interview on this show. Sorry, Craig, you have been dethroned. Shona has taken your crown as the longest interviewee on this program. And I, I am just beyond honoured to have spoken to you, Shona, and uh, I will now refer to myself solely as the young warrior moving forward. Well, well that's lovely. Thank you. Uh, it's lovely words, um, and uh, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. I mean, uh, with respect to Craig, though, you know, remember it's quality, not quantity. <laughs> 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 That's true, yeah. And let's be honest, Craig was just three and a half hours of bullshit. I'm Craig. I'm so good. Yeah, we get it, Craig. Have some chocolate. <laughs> but look, Shona, look, it, it is. I, I'm so glad that uh, we had that phone conversation all those months ago. Now that was back in 2019, and uh, to have you, to have you now, you know, after all this, to 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 not only, you know, I know you've you've gone and rewatched the show. You've you've got that love back for it, and. Uh, you know, to have you here and hear all these stories that we had no idea about. And I said it at the start of this podcast, you are a living legend of this game. You are one of the all-time great, Shona. I want to thank you as that 18-year-old who got to watch you play when, when you did. And now all these years later as a podcast host to have you on the show and talk Survivor. You're an absolute legend. It's been an absolute pleasure. So, Matt, um does that mean when this new little life of yours pops out, uh, she's going to be called Shona? <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it if it was a boy, but, you know, yeah. I'm just checking. But, well, that, you know, that's, uh, that might be up for discussion. <laughs> Do it, Matt. Uh, Do it. <laughs> Guys, thanks very much. It's been an absolute pleasure and, and you've brought something back into my life that I really sort of – Long forgotten, I guess, and it's and it's been very rewarding for me, and I'm very grateful. And we are very grateful for an incredible interview, Matt. Let's be honest; we knew it was going to be incredible, no matter what. She could have hung up in two seconds, and it would have been incredible. Um, I mean, what what a what an incredible person Shona Brown is, and just uh, a sheer delight to be able to have her on this show today and bring this interview to to everyone listening right now. If that's not one of the best interviews you've ever done, Ben, I'm I'm calling bullshit on you because uh, how good is Shona Brown? Like she she's got so much love for this game. That's what I love. Just talking to her about it and and hearing everything about it, and you know, and it's amazing. Like she's still fit as Ben. Like she could go out and kick ass in Survivor right now. I got, I would put my money on that Shona could still go out and get to the end of a modern-day Survivor. 100% agree with you. And it's it's sad in many ways that this is kind of our last contestant interview, I guess, in, in the order that we're doing them. Now, I alluded to in this episode about uh, one more to go, and I'm not going to say anything more. We will mention that in our next episode. I think if people put two and two together, they'll probably be able to work out who we're talking about. But uh, just, just stay tuned for that one. But it's, I mean, saving the best for last... 
is kind of true with this one again. Yeah, we, we you might hear us say that in a couple of uh, episodes time, but the point is, I mean. I, I'm not bullshitting when I said that sort of all, all the ones that we were going to do here, this would be the one to look forward to the most. I know we've mentioned that on the show before, but just so incredible to, to hear those stories and just um, learn about the legend that is Shona Brown. And, Matt, I'm a I'm a young fucking warrior, so, look, I it's done, it's achieved. Kick it off the bucket list because we're here. If only have- Katie had have abused me last episode, I would have created Australian Survivor Bingo for myself. And how good is it to hear hear her say that tiddlywinks line? <laughs> <laughs> so good. So uh, she hasn't changed, has she? Like no. she's just, she's still, you know, like just she's shown a brown. Like she has not changed, and uh, that's what's incredible about doing this interview. You know, like uh, we we didn't know what to expect. We we really didn't. But um, you know, uh, and just off air there, Ben. Uh, just after straight after that, we. Uh, you know, she showed us a memorabilia collection and, and, and just, you know, she, this was a big part of her life. I know she's done such incredible things, but, you know, it really was a big part of her life. And, and it was great to hear hear someone that got to the end and didn't win. That's what I loved about this interview, that, uh, you know, to hear someone that got all the way to the end and then, and then came second. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's very special, you know, to hear someone in that position. Because it is a unique case of this season. Um, touch wood, of course, between now and when we get through all the other seasons that this won't occur as well, that unfortunately we don't have the opportunity to speak to the winner of this season. So Shona, of course, is our our only real connection with that final tribal. And, you know, it, it is a sad fact that we obviously ultimately can't speak to Rob and we'll allude to a little bit more about our next episode in just a moment, of course, and what we're doing with that I touched on that in this episode and we've talked about it in the past of course as well but I think it is important when you are covering a season of Survivor to speak to people from all points of the game you know speak to the first person gone speak to the people who are at the end because everyone's got their own unique take on this game and even more so when you finish in the game I mean all jokes aside about how shit you played Matt but I mean you, you've, you've got a two-day perspective of your season which of course is going to be vastly different to Shane Gould's 50-day perspective of your season but you know I think I want to hear your story and people want to hear Shane's story and I want to hear Shane like we all want to hear all your sides of the story because it can it paints a complete picture of a season of Survivor when you hear everybody's perspective that you can at least get on a show like this yeah you're right and and Shona is special for the fact that Rob is no longer with us. So she is the only one that that we can talk to that that played all 39 days down in Whaler's Way. So, uh, you know, I hope everyone enjoyed this interview. If, you know, I would be shocked if you didn't because uh, it was an incredible interview. And I'm not just saying that because it's on our podcast and we were lucky enough to be the ones to interview her. But it really was like I'm been a fan for 20 years of this game. And there's stuff that I learnt today that, you know, I didn't know and, and was fascinated to hear. So, uh, you know, a big thanks again, Shona, um, to you for, for coming on and uh, being a part of this podcast. Which, I mean, leads into our next interview, our, our next episode. And, of course, people have been just flourished with these episodes in the last week. You know, we're kind of obviously bringing people four episodes in the space of seven days. We generally bring you two in the space of seven days. So it's kind of been boom, boom, boom. And particularly with Katie's episode a couple of days ago shown as you know they're long interviews as well so it might be a case where people aren't listening to these at the time of release and kind of excuse me catching up where they can uh, next episode is is sort of unique we are i mentioned before we're speaking to to rob dixon's brother pete and 
it's it's an emotional interview. I mean, it's it's kind of it's it's very it's a unique one. It's sort of we we did it earlier on with uh, with Jenny Duggan, of course, talking about Tim. This time around, we're we're talking about Rob. Obviously, sadly, we've got two people this season that uh, are no longer with us. But you know, we we have to do a tribute to Rob Dixon. There's no way we can't do some form of episode to Rob. And Pete, we've recorded this interview already, but Pete gives a a very unique look into Rob's life, not just in the game. It's it's more of an interview with learning about Rob as a person outside of the game. And I, for one, just was hanging on to every single word of Pete because, you know, we all have praised Rob as being such a great player, a great human being, such a, a fun person to watch. And learning about him, about what he was like outside of the game too, growing up with Pete, I mean... It's just, it's 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 a great interview. I mean, God, we're so biased on the show. We're all saying our interviews are great. Um, you know, again, wait till we get to season two and we speak to that Ben guy. But um, <laughs> I'm joking. Please come on the show, Ben guy. Like, I'm not shit. Dico, let's be honest, Dico. Um, but in all seriousness, it's a great chat and a fitting tribute, I think, to, to Rob Dixon. The closest we can arguably get to him. And even more so because, believe you and I, this guy sounds like Rob Dixon. Just close your eyes and imagine we are talking to Rob Dixon. It's, it's quite crazy. It is. It's scary how, how much similar they look. But, yeah, it's been a big week on ASA, hasn't it, Ben? Uh, some big interviews. We're at the, the, the last week, basically. Um, we do have a lot more content to come, but it's, uh, you know, covering off on the finale of this very first Australian season. And uh, it's only fitting that we have some big interviews. So, listeners, I know you've got a lot more listening to do, so I hope you're enjoying what we're doing. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, um, mash those buttons on there to get in touch with us. Send us an email, Archives at hotmail.com. I don't generally tag that, but uh, we do have it. And, of course, uh, the more likes that we get on social media, the closer we get to Matt Dyson showing us his beautiful audition tape that we're all hanging out to see of course and subscribe and all your good podcast servers apple podcasts google Podcasts, spotify stitcher we are all there we we have of course uh, i guess switched over our server recently so if there are any issues in accessing particularly older episodes that maybe you're trying to access using an older link and you can't get a hold of that episode send us a message and we will be able to fix that for you and get you the episode but everything else should be fine if you are already subscribed on any of our channels then nothing should be different for you you should be receiving these episodes with no issues but again if you have any issues please send us a message and we can look into it and get it fixed for you Thanks again to Shona. This has been a lot of fun bringing you this episode and we look forward to bringing you our Pete Dixon episode in a couple of days' time. My name is The Young Warrior and that will forever be my name moving forward. Except in the Pete Dixon interview when I hadn't heard that yet and you'll see what me then. But after that Pete Dixon interview, The Young Warrior! My name's Matt Dyson and oh my God, I think Shona's opened up a can of worms with you, Ben. <laughs>
or you've been the young warrior.